A note for listeners before this episode begins. We had a technical issue with my microphone. Well, with my brain, really. Um, it was that I had my record input set to stereo mix instead of microphone. And that means that for the first 30 minutes of the episode, Chris is going to sound completely normal, but I'm afraid the recording of my voice is severely compromised. In fact, it only exists in the form of barely audible bleed-through from Chris's headphones that his microphone then picked up. But... We were determined to bring you the episode, so we've enlisted the services of our audio expert friend Sam Gabriel, who has worked very hard to try and restore my recording by, you know, boosting the sound and applying various filters. But still, it won't sound exactly like an ordinary episode would, so bear that in mind going forward. So if you're enough of an audiophile to notice that my track sounds a bit different in the first part of the episode, that's why, and hopefully you'll still be able to follow along until the sound clears up at around the half-hour mark. Hey, Broomers! Welcome to Sonic the Comic the Podcast, the show that takes you back in time to the mid-90s via the sagacational world of Sonic the Comic, where the horrifying doom humes who think we're in charge, I'm Grave Dave Bulma. Yeah, and I am Chris Mordorus McFeely. And this is issue number 89, purportedly released on October the 29th. 1996. Actually released on October the 16th, 1996, which makes it the hell-bent Halloween issue. Halloween. Just about and no more, of course, because it comes out on the 16th, that means the next issue will actually be released before Halloween. Well, right, this is a lot of carrying on then. Yeah, it'll come out on the 30th, but they've decided to go with this one being the Halloween issue. The month of October, I suppose, because the next issue will be on shelves through to the middle of November, and it'll be just well outdated at that point. I suppose it'll have all blown out by then and we'll be thinking about fireworks. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's that's, that's the rationale, is it? The next issue probably be like the bonfire night issue, yeah. The cover of this issue is brilliant. What they've done is they've said to Richard Elson, draw a Halloween picture, please, and he has. That's it, yeah. And it's just dead good. And it's Sonic riding on a broomstick like a witch might do, zooming over a pumpkin patch with jack-o'-lantern faces carved in them, zooming past a big scary crypt or manse, and he's shooting like witch's magic out of his hands. It's great. It's the sort of old tat you'd normally expect him to hand over to Carl Flint to do, premise-wise. But, but Elson, uh, you know, in the parlance of the youth, he did not need to go so hard, but... Uh, Couldn't stop him if you tried, mate. Yeah. And it goes as far as to say, hell-bent Halloween issue, under the title. Not shying away from the word hell there. Mm-hmm. Just hell on the cover, like like a grown-ups magazine might say, yeah. And accompanying this illustration is big cover strap line. Of course, it is hilariously Sonic Broom, <laughs> like a broom, <laughs> like Sonic Boom, but he's on a broom. <laughs> New story: the tomb. A little misleading that one, I thought, because the story's called the tomb. And, you know, it clearly... Like a ghost tomb. Yeah, that there's going to be some spooky component to it. Yeah, like the tomb he's flying over. Yeah. But it's got nothing to do with it. Not a bit. There isn't even a tomb. Yeah, yeah, I think it might have more relevance next issue, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. We'll come to that in a minute. But in the true Halloween style, there is a new story. Decapitag's back in the Pumpkin Chaser. There's also the Fright Zone with your scary scrolls. That's the graphic zone. Hope we're not too frightened to cover that. I think we'll be able to 
tough it out. Worms, a creepy crawly review. Plus the Sonic 3, Q-Zone and more. And one of the mores, we skipped over it, but this is a free gift issue. It, it, this issue, it obviously came polybagged because there's no trace of tape or glue or anything. With a free Goosebumps sticker album and stickers. Yes, and I had no memory of this. Mm. And there's no sign of it in my collection. So evidently, I was completely uninterested and just yacked it out the window. Or maybe I gave it to my brother. Maybe. We'll speak more about Goosebumps when we get through to the control zone and they tell us a bit more about it. But before we go to the control zone, we got to go over to the back page. Just a madman! Just a It's a Lego advert! Featuring a big, real human man! And he's holding something very close to being a Lego thing I'd be very excited about. It claims to be a Lego thing I'd be very excited about, but at the heart of it, there's a big lie. Well, this is the thing about it, because... So, the ad is a gentleman dressed as a pirate. Very nice pirate costume it is, too. It's a very classical pirate-looking costume. Yes, I would completely accept this guy as a live-action version of Captain Roger, the main Lego pirate. But for the fact that he's not uh, got a hook for a hand, but he needs both his hands to hold up the Lego model. And I can't tell if he's been made up to have gross, dirty fingernails and hair sticking out of his nose, or if they just really got a guy who was good for the part, you know? There's no fake that index fingernail it, it, that at least is real and in his hands he holds a model of a lego ship but the text on the page is in quote marks so it's as if it's this pirate saying it and it says no that's what i call a real pirate ship um but it's 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 not a pirate ship at all it's it's a british imperial uh ship yes or is it because it has the blue and white striped sails and general demeanor of the imperial ship the pirates were pitted against originally. But actually, I looked it up. And this is an imperial ship. But it's the Spanish Empire. They were introduced to the series as a replacement for the English Navy around this time. It's just, you know, it just looks dashed British, is how uh, what it looks. I, mean, I suppose the ship is called the Santa Cruz, to be fair, actually. It does say it right there on the thing. But I put the model code into Google and it came back and told me it was an imperial ship. And I was like, well, clearly it is those damned British. Fair assumption, but I guess pirates just fight with empires generally. I guess so. So this does look like utter crap compared to the actual pirate ship, but apparently it's the Spanish treasure ship, making it a really good target for pirates to board and steal. So all the great little gold and silver coins you collected over the years, they go in air, and Captain Roger and his crew come along and steal it. Or if not Captain Roger, then those interloper stupid bad replacement pirate captains they wrongfully betrayed him by introducing, like Captain Rubbishbeard and <laughs> Captain Plopface the Idiot. <laughs> Hello! You're now entering SDC's pumpkin-packed Halloween issue! Megadroid is reaching... Why not hello there? Like Halloween? Yes. Hello isn't anything, unless you're Winnie the Pooh. Hello! Piglet! Not only is there a surprise spooky-free gift, but those frightfully good decap folk are back. Give a big hand for crazy gang members Chuck, Frank, Head and Igor, who star in The Pumpkin Eater. 
Also buried, buried like you'd bury a body in this issue is a brand new Sonic story called The Tomb Like Where You'd Bury a Body. STC shows your scary scrolls in the Fright Zone, hanging out with Hordak and all the other baddies from Shira. Plus there's a creepy crawly review of Worms, just repeating the cover lines at this point, and more Sonic 3 hints and tips to come out of the woodwork in the queue zone. He's got nothing he's got nothing this issue. If they've got anything, it's the interesting road bump. Well, they say the decapers starting the pumpkin eater. Yeah. Which they don't. Got the title wrong, yeah. It's the pumpkin chaser, as we already know, because it's said on the cover. Uh, one last thing. Broomers. Broom. Broom, like a witch's broom. broom. Let me tell you what really gives me the shivers. The things that go bump around the office. Those bat-brained humes. Shoo, scary. You ain't seen nothing. And that's the Halloween theming for today. There you go. There you go. Sometimes sometimes they just don't have it, do they? But below Megadroid's bit, we spend some time getting to know Goosebumps. STC gets Goosebumps. Scream all you want, the Scaretastic Goosebumps album and stickers is the ultimate Halloween free gift, taken from the hugely successful US TV series and the current best-selling children's books, Goosebumps Mania is set to catch on over here, so boomers, remember where you saw them first. So this will be the first place I ever heard about Goosebumps. Yes, I, I had to go and check this because, yeah, the Goosebumps TV show uh, starts airing on CBBC in November. So they have preempted it here, yeah. And the thing is, I was already a bit too old for it when it started. Yeah? So I've still never read a Goosebumps. Oh, see, now I read plenty of Goosebumps because my, my brothers had them. That was the thing. I didn't get them. But my brothers would always... I've, I've told the stories on the podcast before about how when we would go on summer holidays, one of the things we would do is we would always go to the library and get a bunch of books out to take with us when we were on holiday to read on the plane or just in case things got, you know, if we're having a down day, just sitting reading, you know. Often Asterix and Tintins were acquired. I've said that on the show before. But Goosebumps became very popular in the 90s. And my younger brothers would have got some Goosebumps. And the thing about a Goosebumps was I could grab that and sit and read the whole thing in the morning sitting by the pool or whatever after i was done with my own books you know so yeah i read plenty of goosebumps back in the day so that were good then yeah i'd say so and it's not as if i was any kind of sophisticated reader who would have been above this sort of thing we've already established i was reading the demon ed master around now yeah saved by the bell books and shit but i think in this specific case it's just because it was advertised as like oral stein writing for younger kids yes but i'd already been reading his horror books for older kids for a couple of years now. Was that the point horror stuff? Yeah, which weren't great, but they had this air of threat to them. I remember finding them a bit unsettling, yeah. so maybe I thought that would be missing from these. Sure, sure, no, I get you. I'm Guy Kelly, and I'm about to do a cryptic crossword. Did you never watch the TV show at all, then? No, never saw it. No? Oh, the TV show was good crack. Sure, you would have watched stuff like, uh... I mean, it's going to be like an American Round the Twist, isn't it? Well, uh, no, because Round the Twist's all about one family, whereas Goosebumps, it's more like, are you afraid of the dark? Surely you watched Are You Afraid of the Dark? I don't think so. But remind me. Are You Afraid of the Dark was about a group of kids, the Midnight Society, who'd gather around a campfire and each one of them would tell a story. Uh, so you had the central, you know, group of characters who'd meet it, who would just bookended the episodes. But then the body of the episode was a different spooky story for kids every episode. It's not familiar. I don't think I ever saw that either. Good gravy! 
Well, you should watch some Goosebumps. I think you'd enjoy it. So assuming it was actually on one of the two channels that showed kids stuff on Terrestrial and wasn't just on Sky. Yeah. It was on Irish telly as well. See, this is the thing. is like It was so much easier for me to have consumed a lot of this stuff because it would be on British telly and also on Irish telly. So I had two chances to see a lot of the biggest things that were going on at the time, whether it was something like this or something big like Turtles or whatever. Yeah, like we had two possible, and, and they weren't showing them in sync or anything, so you'd never know what would show up where one time or another. But still, I'm surprised you missed it. So then maybe it was just on at the same time as something we watched on the other side. And that's why I never saw it. Biker Grove or something? Yeah! Made the wrong choice there. The Sega Shots. A new entry on the Saturn chart this issue. And gosh, I'm excited. It's called Athlete Kings. What a title, eh? That sounds just just like our sort of game, eh? I did go and look at a video of this game. Imagine a game we'd hate called Athlete Kings, correct? <laughs> The Tomb Part 1 Written by Nigel Kitching, art by Richard Elson, colours by Steve White, and letters by Tom Frame. After Sonic makes contact with the Freedom Fighters back on Mobius to inform them he's stuck in the Special Zone, he and Chaotix depart for the Black Asteroid, an abandoned gem mine that they intend to use as a prison for Super Sonic. En route, their ship is invaded by Knack the Weasel, who's been hired by Lord Sidewinder to steal Supersonic. And to get the ball rolling, Knack uses his shrinking technology to reduce Sonic and the Chaotix to micro-size. I like this. It feels like the mild threat of STC turning into something that doesn't feel like STC has been lifted by this. Yes, completely, completely. We're definitively back into the supersonic story. Yeah, yeah. Max here causing neck troubles, and yeah, it can be a bit tiresome to have an everybody's shrunk story, but it isn't tiresome yet. No. That's correct. And I suspect with only seven pages next issue, we're going to skip a lot of the usual, oh no, we're going down the plug hole stuff. That's it. Shrinking stories are one of the most tiresome things you can do in children's entertainment. But exactly as you've said, it, it only just happens at the end and there's not enough time to get tiresome with it next issue. So, uh... I don't love Steve White's colouring on Elson's lines here, I have to say. Yeah, I'd say the first page isn't much of a problem. Yep. But then as it goes on, it gets this really bleached out look. Like everything's very light. Yeah! I don't know what it is, but yeah, it's just, it's just, it's like, it's good colouring. It's just not making the most of the lines. Or is it that we're too used to seeing Elson's own colours on his own lines? But no, but then you remember John M. Burns colouring on Elson's lines in the Brotherhood of Metallics chapters. And that always looked very vibrant. Whereas there's a real washed out colour to the whole strip here. I even briefly wondered whether it's just that someone leaned on a setting a few pages into printing just because of how different the first page looks. It, it's so light, it looks like a printing error, right? I mean, it, it's definitely not a printing error, because he's the same colour on all the pages, and the blacks are all perfectly solid, you know, so it's not some kind of thing where the pages have rolled off the press. It's just that it's the palette white's gone with you know even this very first panel on the first page of the special zone doesn't look right i can't tell you why like beautiful beautiful painterly effects on the roiling clouds in the background yeah that's lovely but it doesn't look right 
this just looks like some kind of sunset scene instead of the weird black space of what the special zone should be. Yes, exactly. We are used to space, and we've been given this pink sky. Mm. As well as the general palette, the big thing that stands out to me is the huge amount of detailed highlights he's painted into some of the faces. The muscle structure of Sonic's frown was not meant to be taken this seriously, but White's picked a detail level that's higher than the character can really account for, so he's painting forehead wrinkles, and he's continuing the brow almost all the way down to the muzzle bit, and there's multiple layers of light streak on his head. He's the shiniest it's possible to be, and it constantly leads to trouble, like this shot of him at Espio on page 3, where he's tracing out the round back of Sonic's head where it meets the spikes, even though Elsa has long since been drawing the Japanese style. Sonic, where there is no such divide. Yeah. And then on page two, Tails has those deep shadows under his eyebrows, even though they're just single-line eyebrows on a cartoon face. Yeah, but he doesn't make Tails and Johnny shiny. Why is it... I mean, I understand making Sonic shiny. That's an interpretation of the sprite. But everybody is so shiny except Tails and Johnny. Well, they're furry, aren't they? Well, I guess, but... Actually, that's quite good, isn't it? They are noticeably less shiny than Sonic. Who was always a shiny character back then. Yeah, and I, yeah, Vector and SBO are scaly, and Mighty does have that hard shell, I guess. And the only shines on Charmy are those little red bits that he has, and God knows what those are, so... It's just the level of shininess. It's just too much. It's just too much, mate. So it could just be that we're used to one thing, and this is another thing. It's difficult to tell, really. Well, it's not just that we're used to it looking one way. It's that we know that this isn't bringing out the best of it. Because we know that it does look better with Elson's own colours on it. It does. I thought it was a little weird how when Sonic was explaining to his pals about everything that's happened, he never actually explains that he's stuck there. He says, as long as Super Sonic's still a threat, I'm staying in the special zone. Not that he's stuck, you know? So has he definitely realised that yet? Or is that just us? No, he said it uh, an issue or two ago with, with Mr. Shifter. Yeah, he's, they're stuck because the Omniviewer is out of commission. I mean, I guess maybe there'd be some way for them to power up the star post from the other end. But they've always said that Sonic's the only one who can do that with his speed. So it just feels like it's just an odd little touch that he doesn't actually mention it. What's going on? Love it. What's going on with their little charmy bee-shaped spaceship? Yes! I love this! Why have they got... Why is their little flight pod shaped like charmy? Why? Why is it charmy? Who built that? And did he pose for it? <laughs> yeah, so what it is, most of this issue takes place on a little shuttle, which when you see it on the outside, looks just exactly like Charmy's head poodling about in space. It starts on their satellite headquarters, and then SBO comes to get Sonic and calls off the uh, the phone call. Then they get aboard this little... Sh so I guess this is how they got back from Planet Meridian to the satellite headquarters. They have a little ship. How could be? And the little ship is shaped like Charmy said. Now, I wonder, I genuinely don't know, I wonder if there's a story here. Yeah. Does this pay off in some way? We know there is this whole thing with the, uh, with the, the, the hive that Charmy comes from. Yeah, is that a hive ship? And did Charmy steal it, or does he get funding? Yeah, uh, are the Chaotix funded by Charmy's hive? You know what's going on there? Is it even Charmy? Or is it just a ship of A, B? That's, yeah, but does have the flight goggles molded into it. Well, other bees could wear goggles. They could, they could. It's, it's, I want to call it his little rod pod, but not enough people are going to get the reference. I certainly don't. 
Rodimus, I assume. Yeah, Rodimus, you remember from More Than Meets the Eye when he has the pod that's shaped like his head. But at no point does the narrative of the story call attention to it. <laughs> it's great. Maybe in the future, I would love it if this was a seed for something that was going to pay off. And it's just a head. Just a round head with rocket boots on the back. Yep. And of course, when they're on the bridge looking out of the window, they're looking out at Chami's big eyes. Of course they are. It's brilliant. So they're heading for this thing called the Black Asteroid, which I guess is supposed to be the tomb of the title. The idea is they're going to go in the one entrance to the asteroid, and then Mighty explains they're going to put the Omniviewer in there, and then leave and set off a graviton bomb which will seal the asteroid shut it'll collapse the tunnel behind them and that will be a tomb for supersonic so presumably the idea being that if he ever escapes he'll be trapped inside it but omniviewer can just teleport himself out so he'll be fine yeah i was wondering if they were going to put omni in there and then have him spit out supersonic and teleport away straight away we could do that too yeah but I suppose Omni doesn't know, does he? He's frozen. So that, to me, is the big question. Because it changes what kind of sacrifice Omni's made here. Has he paused his screen so he can't put his face up on it and talk? But he's in there watching what everyone does about it. Or is he paused or slowed right down himself? Uh, yeah, that's, a, that's a, a fair question. But I guess I've always imagined it that he's not perceiving it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's awful. I mean, it's not a bad idea like for pathos it's awful to think that he did that to himself because if that's the case that's a great sacrifice well that's it if, if he hasn't frozen time then he is on some microscopic level aware so he's probably perceiving supersonic at normal speed yeah to him it's just a split second of supersonic blasting forwards exactly as fast as he ever did well everyone outside moves rapidly yeah and Omni has to just hope to find a safer situation outside in a moment's time. Yeah, it's worth a shot. <laughs> Unfortunately, the plan they've come up with is to put him behind a little bit of rubble. It's not a very sound plan. We've seen supersonic punch through mountains. Yeah, and not just in STC. In the Doomsday Zone, which is the most recent supersonic moments in the games, all you're doing is punching through asteroids like they were nothing. He's going to get out of this very easily. But uh, we don't find out this issue anyway, so we'll see how it pays off next issue. Uh, because as, well, they're on the way. Knack. Uh, Knack? It's a Knack attack. Yes. Knack basically interrupts this plan. So we'll find out how it goes next issue. But first, I wanted to mention what happens right at the start. Which is that we get an almost two-page recap where Sonic, trapped in the special zone, finally manages to call home. He's got Amy, Tails, and Johnny on a view screen. Not the Omni viewer, but a more primitive comms desk. And he's telling them the whole story about Supersonic getting trapped in the Omni viewer. And then it stops, because Espio comes in. And Espio's the one who pays the Chaotix phone bill. <laughs> We're not even really exaggerating here. Sonic's in mid-sentence, and then his head whips round as Espio appears, and he goes, Oh, Espio's here. I gotta go. And his finger's already on the hang-up button. It's like he's slamming the laptop shut. Espio's coming to get him to go and leave but you know <laughs> yes perhaps i'm just projecting because i remember how my parents felt about the phone bill yeah like back in the day are you online again that costs money you know <laughs> but then when they're on their way there's a thump of something hitting the ship and espio brushes it off as a piece of debris but it's really this little transparent capsule in which a shrunken knack is hiding 
and uh, he's able to sneak in through an inspection hatch. I don't know why that would require you to be shrunk. Uh, presumably if there's a hatch, it's so that you can get in and out through it. But uh, it's like I was pondering last issue if the Lord Sidewinder's gang were getting in and out of Chaotix headquarters by literally shrinking themselves so small that they were shrinking through the wall of the... But I guess not, if Nack can't do it himself. Uh, terribly bloodshot eyes on Nack here. Yeah, a very good, realistic, bloodshot eyes effect from White, I thought. He has wetted those lines. I wonder what, what what's the thought process there, though. Is it just because it's such a close-up that White has opted to do that? Because Elson would never do that. Well, it's just a way to show battiness, isn't it? I guess. But as we say, the coloring is a, it's a good job. It's just, yeah, <laughs> technically it's great. Uh, so then Nack enlarges himself. And when he grows himself again inside, I love this line. Mighty sees the growing lines when he's starting to Star Trek in, and he goes, hey, what's that? And Charmy goes, is it one of those glory things? <laughs> ah, Charmy, stupid as ever, I see. And uh, I think this is the first time we've, yeah, this would be the first time we see that it's the capsules on, like, the cartridge belt around his hat that he uses to shrink with. Because we've talked before about how, multiple times at this point, but now shrinking is, it's a weird thing. It's sort of been gradually established as Knack's thing and not ever actually been like, here's my thing that I do. It's just crept in. Yeah. And under the radar as well, because it was introduced in a special. Yeah. If I'm remembering right. It was. It was the Knuckles Knockout special, yeah. And then he had multiple types of technological ray there. You know, shrinking wasn't the only thing. Shrinking was just how he was getting the treasure out. Yeah, she's got shrinking, growing, a sense of disquiet, <laughs> slight wobble. But then, yeah, he takes one of these cartridges, these capsules off his uh, belt on his hat and zaps them all. And that's on the second to last page. And then they're all shrunk down. But unfortunately, Nack in his infinite wisdom, you can tell by the expression on his face, realizes he's shrunken Vector a little too soon because Vector is now no longer able to steer the Charmy pod. And it crashes. <laughs> yeah, the look on his face when he realizes he's doomed himself to crash land. Wish I'd waited until you packed this thing. And I think, is it supposed to be the pod that he was arrived in that he's then shrinking to handheld size to capture them in? It could be. It's a glass ball, certainly. Oh, yeah, no, I think it is all right because it's got the three circles on it. Oh, I took that to just be how Elson's showing the reflected light off a glass ball. But they are just little refractive swirlies for glass because this thing he's traveling in, it's, it's a, a transparent green sphere, but then it's got this sort of four suction cup legs but it looks like they're part of a sort of rest or an armature that the orb is contained in oh yeah it's sort of clamped around it isn't it yeah, it's like maybe he got out of the ball and then he took the ball he shrank the ball out of the armature and he'll put the ball back in the armature when he needs to leave or whatever yeah but because he, he whips another canister out of his hat sprays and appears in his hand and he clops it over the top of the chaotics but sonic runs off oh there's his bloodshot eyes again too just that, that's a that's a purposeful choice then. Just big close-ups of eyes are going to have veins in them, I guess. And then the issue ends on the same ad break cliffhanger we know from every shrinking episode of any TV show we've ever seen. 
Knack, come out, come out, wherever you are! As the shrunken Sonic hides, it looks like he's on the console of the Charmy Pod. There must be a way to stop him, but at this size, what can I do? Next issue, Small Problems, which would be the title of this story if it was a 22-minute cartoon. <laughs> I am not going to take <laughs> points away for that. I'm not ragging on it for that. I'm not, I'm just, you know... <laughs> This was a good one. Yeah, this is a good one. I enjoyed this. Yeah. And it's pretty clear from this why I thought of this as a long-running story about Supersonic trapped in the Omniviewer. Yeah, yeah. It's not actively about Supersonic, but that's what all this trouble is pivoting around. Yeah, that's it. And uh, Kitching is keeping the whole Supersonic Sidewinder thing rolling in one form or another. I guess it's really just the in-between stories that Stringer will serve up later that is the stuff that really descends into being the superhero parody stuff that I remember, which is just building on Kitching's setup from the start of this, which Kitching now feels, I guess, maybe he's not that interested in following up on anymore. He did his bit with it and he's done, perhaps. Will Kitching do any kind of superhero story again in this stretch of issues? I guess we'll see. Refuse Fromer and Nick Frost have worms. Keep away, <laughs> they've got worms. They have parasites up their bums. <laughs> That's the joke I'm making, do you think? It's a review of Worms on the Mega Drive, an old favorite of mine, on the Amiga! Have you ever had worms, Chris? I've never had worms. Oh, I have. The game or the disease? <laughs> Both. <laughs> Actually, have when I was little. I'll never forget how horrible the medicine you had to take was. Drink it or, 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 or squirt it up there? Drink it! It was this billowing, roiling red potion that made me gag just inhaling the noxious steam. But yeah, I used to love this game. This game was brilliant. I have no emotional attachment to worms. Did you play it? I played a little worms back in the day, but I have no attachment to it. But I know you loved it. Of course I did. It was perhaps the last downright all-time classic to come out of the Amiga. Ah. If you haven't played it, listeners... Imagine a randomly generated 2D terrain dotted with about 10 little tiny worms with eyes and names over their heads that you've given them. And you can select from a variety of weapons to blast chunks out of each other until one or other team is wiped out. It's one of those games you used to be able to get back then, where the gameplay really was unique and not just the latest in a well-worn genre. Unless you happen to have played an obscure old game that it was similar to. They identify it here as platform slash shoot 'em up, which feels like a complete lie. Yes, it's not really. But then, sort of, it is like that. I mean, you do move the little guys around on 2D ground, and you do jump onto other platforms sometimes, just not in the way you do in a platformer. But shoot 'em up is an actual game genre, and they're only using it here because you can shoot. 
That doesn't make worms a shoot 'em up. I mean, worms is a tactical game, right? Yeah. You direct your little worms to go. The closest thing I always compared it to in my head was lemmings, because you're telling the little individual guys where to go and what to do in a, in a sort of tactic map out. It's got a flavor of that, yeah. Get guys to go where, yeah. And instead of the different types of lemming, you've got different types of weapon selectable along the bottom which serve the similar function of turning your little guys into little guys that do X thing now. Yeah. But this brings up the same problem as Lemmings has, which is that if you're playing it on the Mega Drive, the me you're not playing it properly. Yeah. And this is a game about selecting from lots of on-screen buttons, moving a cursor to certain places to tell the game what to do with those commands. And when you've got a mouse, that's a quick and fun process, as easy as pulling a trigger or moving a character in a direction is. But on Mega Drive, it's got to be a laborious process, forcing a controller to do all that. A strong actual review from Fromer and Protz, who I feel we haven't seen write a review together in a long time. But, they, you know, they, they were the ones who came in a good long time ago now. But they're the ones who are actually here to review sh I always get quite excited when I see the names on the reviews because they're the ones actually using writing skills rather than just sort of writing a list of facts, a sort of functional report of the contents of a game. They actually do things with their words. Yes. In such a short review, and one that doesn't acknowledge the original version of the game, it's difficult to tell much about how the game translates to the Mega Drive, and what compromises there are, but there are clues. In the Raves and Graves, the grave is limited backgrounds, and in the second-to-last paragraph, they say that there is not much in the way of sound, save for the satisfying noise of weapons exploding on impact. Well, I can tell you that all this certainly sounds like compromises that dig out the heart of the game I loved. The day I brought my copy of the original Amiga Worms home, by the end of the day, I was already in deluxe paint drawing levels. Not just for imaginary fun, like when I drew lemmings levels in my dinner breaks at school, but actually to load into the game, so I could start blasting creatures in my cartoon characters with bazooka shells and exploding sheep. Yes, I'm remembering you mentioning that, yes. And sound! Not much sound, save for the satisfying noise of explosions. Worms had more little voice samples going on than even lemmings. Every different action, from little hops to fire punches, had different little vocal samples. And you could go into the install folder on your hard drive if you were lucky enough to have one, find the samples, fire up ProTracker, and start recording your own samples to go there. Replace the worm voices with anything you wanted, as long as the sample was the same length. So you just recorded over it. I turned everything into Red Dwarf samples. There's a bit when they've got a little comic adaptation of Virgil's Aeneid. And the joke is that it adapts this lofty ancient classic text as just comic book pals and splats. But this means you have Kraken reading out Kersplat Gnyarg, which I put in when the worms blow up and splash kaboom when they land in the sea and explode. <laughs> So yeah, Worms is actually quite a feat for that sort of thing. And the Mega Jar version doesn't... CHRIS! Oh no! Oh Chris! Oh dear! What? I've, I've just looked at my recording! And it hasn't been... 
It hasn't recorded anything! Nothing at all? Nothing at all! Oh, bangers and mash! Oh, Christopher's bodkin! I've gone and put the ninnies in the vicar's left cheek, I have! I've gone and met a twimbly spindle of the whole lot! Uh, yeah, because we're 50 minutes in. <laughs> oh, Christ! Oh, Jesus! Christopher! Christopher, what have I done? Can you ever forgive me, Christopher? I'll get you. It was at this point, listeners, that we realized Dave's mic had not been recording the entire first 50 minutes to an hour of the podcast. So I don't know what you're going to have heard uh, before this point. Dave's going to make some kind of reconstruction effort. And uh, we'll see how that goes. But uh, sorry. These are live professional scenes from STCTP Towers. Yeah. <laughs> Well, anyway, so Worms is a game, you've probably heard of it, they've reviewed it, and I liked it. Yeah, they say it's totally addictive, but that it has limited backgrounds, and overall I'd give it an 85. I would give it at least an 85 on the Amiga, but I don't know about on the... I'm, I'm surprised if it works at all on the Mega Drive, but apparently yeah, it does. it's hard to imagine. Yeah. They talk about playing it with a group of friends, I don't even know how that would work on a Mega Drive. Well, it's, I mean, on everything it's turn-based, so you just probably need the one... Oh, is it turn-based? Yeah. Oh god, yeah. no wonder I never played it properly then. I mean, that's what I was thinking of as I was looking at uh, a video of the Mega Drive version, it's like, I don't like turn-based fighting, but I did like it in Worms, so... It can be done. You have to get the right sort of game. It's tactical, isn't it? It's, yeah. Yeah. There's a different. It's not. It's not fighting, is it? It's different. Yeah. But it's only a one-page review zone this week. A little bit odd because mm. uh, on the facing page we've got another Lego word. <laughs> Just a mad word. Just a page of madness. You go mad for the Lego. This one's for Lego Technic, the worst, better Lego. <laughs> yeah. It's better than Lego, and that's bad. Yeah. I mean, that's just spelled out of my mouth this second as a way to describe Technic. But it's true. But I think that's certain how I used to think of it, yeah. It's absolutely accurate. You might as well have Meccano. This is the Space Shuttle Colorado with fiber optics. Whoa. Just don't tell NASA. <laughs> Which presumably means blinking lights. It does. Now, I looked up a video of this set oh, did on you? YouTube. And I have to say, this thing looks like it whips ass. Oh, really? The way it was described in the video is... Now, I don't know how much of this was simply just the opinion of the guy who did the video or how much of it is true within the LEGO community, but he was describing it as being considered legendary among Technic sets. Oh, wow. Yeah. It gives us an indistinct description of how it works here in the bar on the left. But it's... So it's it's a space shuttle, I guess. I don't know, I don't know if the Colorado is a real space shuttle or not, but... Um, it's a sp you know, imagine a space shuttle. Yeah. It's that, except it's all full of holes because it's made of Technic. If you see, this is the, these are the two problems with Lego Technic. One, it's all based on real-life boring things. <laughs> yeah. And two, it's all hollow and empty and holes and bits. It's all wireframey. Yeah. The new fiber optic system is now featured in some of the most advanced Lego Technic sets ever. The Space Shuttle Colorado not only has a jet-powered fiber optic system fitted, but also fully motorized hatches and a Canadian arm. In addition, a micromotor powers the attached satellite to make this set the coolest thing around. Who said the space race was over? A Canadian arm? Yes, I've never heard. It's it's one of those extending arms. Yes, I looked it up. It, they call it Canadarm now, don't they? And it's the arm that comes off a yeah, space thing. Things. 
to do... To be stuff. To handle the payloads, it says on the mm. website. And I don't know what that means, but just stuff. Because they, they invented it in Canada. So. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. But the way this works is there's a little H-shaped switch. Like a gear stick in a car. Mm. It rests at the center is the off position. Yeah. You move it to any one of the four points of the H, and that realigns the gears underneath the electric motor oh, wow. to, you know, make something else happen, oh. depending on what position the switch is in. So you set the position of the switch, and then you turn the power knob at the side that activates the motor. And you have to hold the switch in place, because if you let it go, and a rubber band returns the switch to its off position. Um, so you set it to one and turn the knob, and the doors on the top of the space shuttle open and then you set it to two and you turn the knob and the arm comes out you set it to three and the arm swings out to the side and then there's a a second micro motor fitted into like the uh, I don't know if it's fitted into the arm or into the satellite but there's a satellite on the end of the arm and you activate that and the satellite's arms fold out the solar panels on the side of the satellite fold out and you set it to four and that's whenever it activates the fiber optics which are just the um just tubes with lights in uh-huh. that are wrapped around the engines and they flicker in a in a rotating pattern as if the engines were going oh, cool. it sounds like brilliant crack i have to say well then i owe an apology to all of our lego technic fan listeners that i now see why it's hollow it's so you can look at all the cool little gears doing this stuff. I think so, yeah. That you've put together. This is an engineer's... This is a child engineering toy, this, isn't it? Yeah. Presumably that's what Lego Technic always is. I think so. But it's got, like, working landing gear and ailerons where you push a lever and rubber bands and gears <laughs> make oh, the thing wow. snap and pop. And You know, it's not just you just manually flip them down. So you flip one switch and then three sets of landing gear all swing down at once. You know in that really satisfying rubber band retort snap yeah. kind of way that Lego used to work? Yeah. I may have turned round on this so much that I want it now. <laughs> I kind of did want it after I watched the video. <laughs> I want to have a go on this. Also pictured here, just barely visible in the background, is the Lego Technic multi-racer set, which is a little confusing to see it called a multi-racer set and it be a helicopter. But what it is, it's uh, you can build it three ways and you can build a helicopter, a drag racer, or a dragonfly, I believe, was the <laughs> other version. That makes sense. And it have, they all have uh, the same lights. I mean, the light thing is a bit rubbish honestly, because it's uh-huh. just a load of clear pipes and the lights just flicker in them. You sure, know? of course. And they're just sort of bunched and wrapped mm. uh, around the, you know, they're not artfully threaded in any way through the model. Oh. They're just kind of wadded up in its jets. Uh-huh. <laughs> but the motor stuff sounds cool. And actually, a, a moment's pause for the amount of hard work that went into just producing this picture, because not only has somebody had to build this whole thing, and the helicopter in the background... But look, they've also had to set up Lego Nobblies on pillars in the background. That's presumably a fake background entirely that someone's built. A bit of a factory or something. I bet that was the set they used for all their Technic official photography. Mm. Like some guy built it once and then they just... uh... It's probably modular, and they get it out and assemble it every time there's a new kit they have to take a photo of. That's probably too. That would certainly befit the job, wouldn't it? That it's modular and they build it. But it's, yeah, it's pipes going into a thing, and there's like one of those dramatically backlit wall fans, you know, like a huge circle cut out of the wall with a fan in it, like in a big factory that baddies might have. Knuckles. The Good, the Bad, and the Echidna, Part 3. Written by Nigel Kitching, art by Nigel Dobbin. Let, 
Letters by Elena Fell. Nigel Nigel Dobbin. No, no, don't don't lean too hard into it because then we've got nowhere to go next episode. <laughs> <laughs> like all the R's in the pirate stories. <laughs> Knuckles takes the job as the sheriff's deputy to try and solve the mystery of who tried to kill him and Rooster and is quickly able to confirm his suspicion that the mayor, Boss Crouch, is the one responsible when he beats the truth out of his goon Cheeto in a bar brawl. But Crouch has already left town to make another attempt on Rooster's life personally. Tarnation. <laughs> Lurlene. <laughs> you just... Saying random words now at this point? Random words I've heard a voice like this say. What? You mean you've never heard of the Cabbage Patch Kids? Well, sit right down. It's a niche poo, but it's what you come to this show for. <laughs> Can't think of any more phrases I'm aware of that voice saying in my lifetime. So that's, that's I don't, what yeah, I have I don't think I have a... a you, you, my you, whenever you, you, you need these like activation phrases to, to settle your voice into the right place you sometimes. Do. I don't think I have one for cowboys. Hmm. They uh, they actually use the word lynch, lynch here. Page yeah, one. they made that note too, right? Yeah. yeah. They say it out loud. Yeah, because we were speculating, weren't we, last issue? You know, what is it in the script yeah, <laughs> compared yeah. to what was drawn? It's like the sheriff who came and saved Knuckles from the hang-in last issue boots out the deputy, who is Boss Crouch's son. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna tell my pa! Well, go ahead, you little skunk. Crying to your paws about all you're good for. You let a mad mob drag a prisoner from the cells. They were gonna lynch him. Alright, we're not messing about here, are we? It was kind of my reaction as I was reading the story. Yeah. Like, I already knew we weren't messing about when they tried to lynch him last issue, but then they said the word this issue. Yeah, was like, that, yeah, all right, that all right. does change it, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Looks like I need me a new deputy. What are you saying, Knuckles? <laughs> so Rooster heads off anyway to get his herd to town while Knuckles takes up the job of deputy and he gets himself a little jacket. <laughs> I didn't notice that, where's that? Well, he's got to have a little jacket to pin the badge on, because he's got nothing to pin the badge on, otherwise. (laughs) Yes, I suppose so. Gets himself a little badge and a little kerchief. Yes! I'll be paying a visit to Mayor Crouch in due course, as he enters through the swinging saloon doors. Sheriff says I shouldn't leave town till we find out who's been trying to kill Rooster. Thought I might as well help out. And then Knuckles doesn't drink alcohol, we learn. Yes, what happens in the following scene is that Knuckles goes round disapproving of everything you'd get in a western tavern. <laughs> Liquor, uh, guns. He's alright with a brawl, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, Knuckles is for brawling. <laughs> it's a great brawl, too. Oh. Cheeto overhears that Knuckles is looking for him, so he sneaks up behind him or ambushes him with a gun. A nice, safe, sci-fi-looking yeah, green, a sci-fi green gun, gun with an orange thing on it yes. so that it doesn't look too bad. But then Knuckles simply punches it out of his hand. <laughs> and it flies through the air and lands in someone's beer. Yeah, and then the beer spills on the next person over, which kicks off the bar brawl, of course. It's my best suit! Not to mention my only suit! <laughs> and then off we go. Yeah. And there's a nice panel of you can you can hear the bum 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 ba dum bum bum ba dum bum plunk clunk as, <laughs> as the whole thing starts, you know. You can you can hear the sound in your in your in your mind's ear. But then as the fight kicks off, Knuckles is like, it's getting a bit crowded in here. Why don't we take this? Turn page outside 
he literally punches Gino through a plate through glass a window. window. Oh, do you know when I read it, I just assumed it was the door, but it's not. That is nope. a window. Either window, because that's what happens in in Western bar brawls. Is somebody goes out through the window. Got her. But that's it. You know, when I wrote, he beat the truth out of him. He, he did. He threw him through a window. Yeah. No more, senor. I admit it. Yeah. <laughs> he says. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it really bothers me, right? This rabbit has two big rabbit front teeth. Yeah. One twice as long as the other one. And all I can think about is, like, what snapped the other tooth? Imagine having one of your front teeth snapped in half. Ooh. He got in a bar brawl or something, Ooh. didn't he, you know? Ah, snap. Ooh, that happened to my tooth. niece. Ah, did she get in a bar brawl? Did that happen to No, niece? she well. fell over on a tiled floor, <laughs> you know. Oh, no! Yes, I know, but she's all right, you know. But no, ah, she's not. Ah, but there are baby teeth, so it'll be fine, you know. But okay. but uh, she chipped them in such a way that they're both of them perfectly symmetrically mm. arcing in towards the center. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. Let me tell you about the time I went over on my handlebars of my bike and went up the road. Yeah, a uh, friend of mine when we were about this age, maybe a year or two earlier, he pulled the wheelie and his front wheel just came off <laughs> and went wheeling down the road. And he went, what, there's nothing you can do. What so he just one do, yeah. went all the way over, teeth into the mm. ground, and all his teeth were pushed to be pointing inwards. And he had to have them, he had to have surgery. They've been teeth. My, 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 this is the worst one. My, well, maybe, no. This is the second worst one. No, oh boy. My mum when this is, bothers me so much, no. I'm having to look away from Chris as I tell this story. My mum wanted to surprise her sister. So she went round behind the, you know, the, the armchair that she was sitting in. Oh, no! Climbed up it and went like, bah! And I don't know if that surprised her sister or if her sister just shot upwards for some other reason, but her head went into mum's teeth and I think knocked her teeth out. Again, baby teeth, oh. so it's all right, but... Well, you know, my bad one that I live with the consequences of today was I've told the story on the podcast before. Oh. <laughs> In fact, it's a Halloween story, you may recall. <laughs> so appropriate for the issue. But it was, yes, whenever we had some glow-in-the-dark Halloween googaws and we had the lights off to test them, you know, yeah. and when I went to turn the lights on, it was dark enough that I... And the thing is, I, I tripped as I went. Uh, I tripped on the edge of the sofa, uh, and I, I went over onto the sofa, uh, and I landed on the armrest of the sofa, uh-huh. and that's why I have a, a crown. Uh, yeah. But it's like... I, well, because I, you're the king. Because you're the king of comedy. Because I'm the king of... Kids. <laughs> <laughs> Ding! <laughs> Episode title. <laughs> That's the title. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the now that you, I don't remember that story. But if you say you've told it before, maybe we like have. But maybe I haven't. Maybe it did got edited out. Well, maybe we've had this whole conversation before, and I just don't remember. No, I don't remember either of those stories. Well, I, no, the wheelie one sounds a little familiar, but the not wheelie the one. Story. Wheelie. <laughs> the wheelie wheelie sergeant. sergeant. <laughs> The stupidest one, which I must have told you at some point, was the time when I was overzealously doing an impression of an animatronic Snow White sweeping the floor and I punched my own front tooth out. That does sound familiar, yes. And then in my memory, did the same thing again when showing people what I did that gave me a day off school. But that can't be true, can it? I would believe it. Yeah, no. I do have... There are two front teeth and I don't have... 
both of those I would be traumatized by coming out, and I don't have a memory of the them worst coming one, out. Isn't it? But yeah, those yeah. are the ones of the niche chip. <laughs> right, back anyway, to Knuckles. Podcast. Yes. <laughs> the thing is, I haven't really got anything to say about this. No, that's it's the thing. He, Knuckles becomes a deputy and has a bar brawl, and the, pl- and the plot progresses. Yeah. In a fairly A to B sort of way. I'm not, as we've established, a fan of the Western episode of things, usually. I mean, so I don't know why. I, I loved Red Dead too. you know. It's not the setting that I'm against, but just I think it's the fact of having grown up at a time when all these old guys who remembered Westerns from their childhood were making cartoons and stuff. So there always had to be an episode. And therefore, it always had to have the same beats and it had to do the same things. And this is that as well, really. It's like, well, we've got to have a barroom brawl and we've got to have this and we've got to... And I was just like, yeah, okay. I'd... So it was almost like when the Western episode of Mario Super Show came on, or whatever, it was like... I mean, and you're starting from a pretty low bar there already. <laughs> but it was like, well, this isn't... This one doesn't count then. Like, we're not getting an episode of the thing I came for. We're getting a Western. So I've just got to wait till next week, or whatever. Like, it, do, you know, do you see what I mean by yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. But we've um, already established at this point your enraged confusion uh-huh. at the concept of <laughs> genre episodes in kids' cartoons. <laughs> what other than other than the Western one? What was the other? Ninjas, pirates, mm-hmm. uh, superheroes. Yes, although, for I, although I was always fine with. Do you know what I mean? Like I didn't notice the superheroes one. That's odd, isn't it? I was I was just a weird child, I think, is what we're finding out over the course of this podcast. I mean, I think the thing about a superhero one, though, is you don't necessarily have to change the entire setting of the thing to do it. Mm. Whereas with a Western one, you you got to uproot the characters. and t- Same as with a pirate yeah. one. you got to uproot the characters and put them in a different place. But a pirate one, that, you know? I was always eager for a pirate one, that's the thing. I'm happy with so a pirate one. There's absolutely, absolutely no difference. Though. No. It's just because you had Lego figures of pirates. Yep. Yeah, that's it. Because, yeah. Like the people who liked that stuff and wanted to put it into cartoons, I had pirates in my childhood. That's the that's the only difference. Someone who was into westerns would have loved this stuff. Um, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, there wasn't much of a window into westerns in our childhood, really, was there? Brave no, Star. no, it was long dead already. You know? Yeah, there wasn't really western. I liked Brave Star, though. I didn't. It was just a bloke. It, it wasn't just a bloke. He had powers. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the strength yeah. of the bear, yeah. the speed of the puma, yeah. the eyes of the hawk, and the ears of the wolf. Actually, Dave and his best mate was a horse, and the horse was a robot, and the could stand up. Actually, Dave. Actually, uh, okay, the, the standing up robot horse. I'll give you, but those are just like a bloke and some real animals. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> now, if he was kind of one of those animals, as in Thundercats, perhaps I'd have been interested. Sure, well, we all were, you know. Thundercats yeah. was kind of the one over mm, here. Mm, mm. Thundercats yeah. and He-Man were the big ones here. Well, when I, yeah, when I was starting school, Thundercats and He-Man were it. Because those were the ones that were actually on TV over here that you could access. And Ghostbusters, which should oh, come under the course, category yes. of just blokes, but they yes. were fighting ghosts, so it was all right. And Bravestar had a robot horse and he fought a bloke who was a living corpse. I, you know, I don't even remember who he fought. Tax Hacks was his name. Of course it was. <laughs> just blokes. They weren't just blokes. He had a whole f***ing Hordak Skeletor oh, gang he? of goons. Oh, you know? okay. That sounds There was right. a bloke called Sandstorm who could blow sand, make sandstorms out of his mouth, and I always pretended to be him on the playground in the winter in the cold days when you could see your breath. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> actually, Dave, Brave Star was good. Actually, no, it wasn't. It was made by Filmation. Everything Filmation ever did was dope. Never mind. Moving on. No, but isn't it interesting that we are, after years of this, we have found ourselves in an era of the comic that is highlighting 
where we do differ and uh, and where childhood us differed because sure, yeah. to me I've been as we've been doing these episodes and as I've been editing them I've been mulling this over in my mind and like to me superheroes was basically the same thing as football Jesus it was it, it went in the same category it was men running around and if you want a bridge across that basically what it comes down to is this you could not impress childhood Dave by showing him that a man was very muscular. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, I Pyro Rangers. Right, but you, they weren't. Do you know what I mean? They happened to be muscular, but that wasn't the thing about them. The thing about them was, Yes, it was. No, the thing no, it wasn't. The thing about them was that they had colorful suits on and robots. Like So the superheroes. Well, yeah, kind of. They have colorful suits on. Pretty much. Power Rangers are superheroes. Uh, pretty much, yeah. Is it the, so? Then is it the robots? Is it the robots aspect of it? Mainly, yeah. Fair enough, then. I mean, yes, that is the good bit of Power Rangers. Yeah. When they go into their suits, they're no longer American muscle men. They're, I mean, apart from anything else, they're not really very muscly in their suits because that's not what the Japanese were into in the seventies. But yeah, the bad bit of Power Rangers was always the bit where they're being muscly in real life, wasn't it? I think to me. I think you were just so, and I'm being serious here now. I think yeah, you were just so all in on turtles. Yeah, that you you were never able to accept the idea that people could do things. Yeah, Thundercats were just people with a bit of extra hair. Dude. Yeah, that's probably true. But also, was that why I was into turtles? Because yes, well, it turtles was. Turtles a... was the first big thing, wasn't it? You know, for us, when turtles started, we were seven or eight. Mm. And that's it. Like that's it. You're done. That if you're seven or eight, when that happens, yeah, that's it. That's the thing that you are into. Then. Yeah, yeah. You know, because I mean, everybody knows me from Transformers, but you know, I was I was two when Transformers started, yeah. so I only got into it a couple of years after we started already. And sure, I had toys. And it was mm -hmm. a part of you know childhood entertainment I consumed mostly through video and, mm -hmm. and purchases of, of the comic. But you know, I was still a little young for it. Turtles. Yeah. Don't get me started. Seven or eight years old when it started. That's it. That's your thing. That's the big first thing that really defined your like identity as a kid. What you were into and what people knew to get you for Christmas and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And you know, so the, so the fact that then off the back of that, yeah, you couldn't accept just people anymore. Whereas I never had that problem. Yeah, I couldn't. And the bridge between like me being into say turtles and not being into superheroes is probably stuff like wrestling which is right in between the two things isn't it it's a cartoon about men with big muscles is it really right between turtles and re on the two point scale between turtles and superheroes is re well it's not it's you know you the thing about the turtles is that they, they are that wrestling thing they're muscle men the turtles they bound them Depending on how they're being rendered, but yeah. <laughs> well, even the cartoon turtles, at least when you saw them in, yeah, like the packaging, like when they drew them a bit more carefully than they did. Yeah. But they had bulgy arms and legs, and you yeah. just you just didn't really pay attention because that wasn't the key thing about them. It's an odd thing, isn't it? Shall we move on from anyway? Next, God, so, yes. Yeah. Next issue with Knuckles, Showdown. I mean, yeah, obviously the that's Western. what you, that's what you yeah. call, I'm surprised it's not called High Noon. Pew, pew, you know, pew. What, you know. They're going to they're gonna hide behind boxes and fences and pew. Well, they're not going to pew because Knuckles doesn't have a gun. Oh, no, they're not. You know, so I don't know, yeah. I don't know what exactly is going to happen. There's got to surely be at some point there'll be a dramatic shot of Boss Crouch through Knuckles' legs, at least. Of course. You say that, but we'll see. What the hell are they going to do? How do you do a Western without ending on pew, pew, pew? That's a good question, actually. Outside the tavern, ducking behind the little fence bit. What way do you wrap up a Western yeah. story whenever the hero doesn't have a gun? Yeah. 
Huh. I guess oh, every okay. I guess everyone just goes like, well, we haven't got any guns, so let's go home. <laughs> Knuckles will dodge the bullets and punch him in the face. Rooster's got to get involved. So maybe Rooster, yeah. well, Rooster will be allowed to have a gun because yeah. he's a cowboy man. Yeah. So we'll. See. I mean, not that they're going to shoot Boss Crouch dead or anything. No. That's not how this gets resolved. But uh, lovely Dobbin art. Anyway. It, it- Yes. Feels wrong to let it pass by without commenting on that, because it is. But, you know, it's only a bit about westerns. Speaking of lovely art, none to be found in the Fright Zone. (laughs) Graphic Zone. I howled with laughter at this first one, I have to say. (laughs) Not specifically because of the drawing itself. It's from Jodie Harris in Swansea, Wales. And she's drawn a sort of a vampire man. (laughs) In the sense that he's wearing like a sort of suit sort of thing. This is one of those incredibly tangentially Sonic ones. Yeah, so imagine a vampire's body with a suit and a cape and and all that. And orange hands. Because he's got a pumpkin for a head. Yeah. And then he's got a Sonic spike or two coming out of that. Except it's also got Sonic's ear in it in the spike. <laughs> yeah, like the spike is the ear, yeah. But the thing that tipped me over the edge was the fact that Jodie Harris of Swansea, Wales chose to <laughs> label this creation of hers Pumponic. <laughs> Pumponic! <laughs> Sounds like something Dr. Kintamore would have invented the retroorbital Pumponic retractable. <laughs> <laughs> but that was for his own recreation. It doesn't get included in the story. <laughs> Stay away from that, Sonic. No, that's that's mine. (laughs) And then something similar going on down below from Neil Davies in Northampton, but it's just Sonic with a jack-o'-lantern for a head instead. It's just Sonic's body with jack-o'-lantern. Who is that masked pumpkin? Reads the caption. Under wraps for Halloween. This is Tales as a Mummy. That's it. What else can one say? That's what it is. From John Kendall in Bishop Stortford in Hertfordshire. That's right. It's just Tails as a mummy, and you can tell it's Tails because he's got his two tails poking out. Unmummified. Friend of the show, John Kendall. Is that your cousin, John? That is my cousin, John, who's done things with us and for us before, so I've got the inside scoop right here. Oh, right. In my DMs. John has uh, written to me. Look at that Stunning artwork, says John. (laughs) He says, I do remember it was a piece I'd drawn around the previous Halloween. And so Mm. they must have kept it on file for a year. Which actually is quite nice of them, isn't it? I feel it's not the first time we've ever seen it happen. Oh, wait. I was going to say it was nice of them because they're like, well, we will print that, but we have to wait a whole year. We'll dedicatedly hold it back the way I am on a letter right now to go in issue something like 98 from someone who's <laughs> who's written a letter especially for that. Oh, I hope I remember it. But no, what they've done is they've gone, well, we, we might not have enough Halloween ones for next year's Graphic Zone. We've been here before, and rather than having to scribble all over somebody's drawing, <laughs> let's hold this one back. Um, but as a result of that, he goes, I think I was mildly put out that it looked a bit naff because it didn't represent my current artistic skills. You'd come along in a year's time, yeah. Yeah. I also liked drawing characters as mummies because I was an inherently lazy artist and there's less colouring in to do. And, uh, of course, he received a pack of mini stampers for this. Uh, He says, I couldn't tell you what I used my mini stampers for, but they were not used very often. Thank you, John, backing up my position on mini stampers. (laughs) (laughs) No, I remember there was one before there was... uh, Mm. It was the tennis graphic zone from... Like last year sometime yeah. and we noticed the Wimbledon 94 had been someone had drawn a 5 over the top of the 4 yes and at the time we didn't yes. know but of course now of course now yeah we know how much they were dicking around with kids drawing yeah. so it probably was done in the offices and if it was they could have done a better job than yeah. the, the writing a 5 over the top of a 4 put a bit tip exit out or something 
Uh, below that, we've got You're one from... You're a publishing house! Like, do some... What have you got? Professional-level equipment and staff! Writing a five over the top of a four. <laughs> below that one, there's one from Boomer Stephen. No last name given in Lanarkshire in Scotland. This is a good one. Yeah, I really like this one. It's Tales as a Frankenstein, but... but it's almost sort of like something out of Decapitec. It is a bit, yeah. Because he's all squares. He's got a great big, huge, wide square head, and his shoulders are out to here with his arms dangling mm. down. And look, he's penciled in a little belly button for him as no, well. No, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> yeah. I hope it's a belly button. Tails gets it in the neck again, says the caption, because he's got bolts in uh... his neck like a Frankenstein. Thomas Hoddle from Ross on Y Hereford delivers the specious one of the graphic zone. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's captioned Amy lashes out, and what it is, what what they want you to think it is, is a Frankenstein-y Amy, but what it could be is just a really violent Amy who's in a big fight. Yeah, it's just an ard Amy. Yeah. yeah, the only thing making it possibly a Halloween-based one, but this could just be incredibly violent is that she's got blood coming off her teeth, which are kind of two fangs. Yeah, that's so, it. But she might have just bitten someone in a fight. Yeah, that's probably what it is supposed to, because she's, she's got a scar on her muzzle. Very angry face. A stick-in plaster on the side of her head. She's got an earring, yeah. and she's got fingerless gloves with spikes on the knuckles. On the knuckles? Yes. And she's got... It's, she's more of a punk. Yeah. Than anything. She got cleats on the bottom of her shoes. And in a brilliant little tweak of the design. Yeah, I love this bit. Yeah. They've taken the heart from her jumper and they've made it a broken heart. That's great. Well done. That's great really cartooning. cool. Yep. And doesn't it tell a little story? Like she's finally, finally been mega finally dumped by Sonic and it's just broken her completely. She's changed, changed her, her jumper. Shirt. <laughs> 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 and gone on the rampage. Yeah, so that's probably just a punk, Amy. Yeah. I like this one from Michael Ransom on the right from Sale in Cheshire, who's done what uh, STC captions Count Nucula, <laughs> which is just a Knuckles vampire, but his big vampire suit is pink, because as we all know, Knuckles was pink. Pink, pink. And as we've seen before, when a child sends in a vampire drawing to STC, they must draw a little castle, a little in, the castle in the background for the vampire to have come <laughs> from. And sure enough, there is one. And the little path coming out from the castle up to the front. Yes, to the point that I initially thought it was a curly trident. Ah, a yes, wavy I can see that. Trident. Yeah. But no, it's a castle with a path. And finally, Hubble Bubble, Toil and Trouble, from Jacob Noel Smith in Leeds. It's Robotnik as a witch. And, oh, this is good. He's got three bat brain badniks flying around him as the Halloween bats. Yeah, Very that's good. good. Like that. Yeah. Somebody took a cue from last year's <laughs> badnik pinup. God, last year, Badnik pinup. Is that how long ago oh, wow. Badnik pinup started? That's capital S, capital B, capital P. That is their <laughs> official title on this podcast. SPPs. Robotnik's got teeth missing. He's got a witch's hat and cape. He's got a broom. Looks like maybe he's got like a mole or something on his chin. Oh yeah, hairy mole. And he's got a cauldron mm. which is lined underneath with coloured in circles, which is simultaneously how you draw a witch's cauldron. And precisely how you draw the witch's cauldron from Magic Land Dizzy. It's possible. Uh... It's possible that this is... Cop that's, how, that's how I would draw a cauldron at the time. Not by copying it, but by knowing that's, that's how, how you, you draw do. it, having learned it in that game. Well, it looks as much like that as it does like the pot of magic potion from Asterix or something like that. You know? uh, that I bet it'll be that. I'll have to check what that's got. It's what's underneath it. It's the perfect row of circles. Here meant to represent what? Coal? Yeah, coals or whatever, yeah. Or wood. 
with flames coming off the top of those, which again is right, but it's also Magic on Dizzy Sprite arrangement. <laughs> you, you never know. You never know. Just a madbird. Just a Now, here we go. That's the Disney Channel I was interested that's in. That's the one that's cartoons, Waldy Walbio. Don't miss the <laughs> Disney Channel. Here they are promoting one, two, three, four, five things. Yeah. We got Aladdin. Yes. The series. Another magic carpet ride for Aladdin and his friends. Hang on for the ready of your life. Not actually good, but lives in my heart as one of the best animated series because it was of Disney's Aladdin. <laughs> I think Aladdin the series was all right. It was all right. Um, you wouldn't get far through it if you tried to rewatch it now because it's not high quality. Um, no, we don't look good. That's no. kind of, I think, the, the biggest issue with it. Is Because that, that's the thing about Disney shows, generally, they were Disney, so they looked pretty good. Yeah. But Aladdin didn't. No. Because kind of yeah. Return of Jafar is functionally the pilot for Aladdin yeah. the series, and it looks like crap. Mm. Except the occasional shots that are animated well, and there's clearly one guy with one team who got the best shots, but they stand out so far against the rest that you're like, well, that doesn't make up for it. There probably are some episodes of Aladdin that look as good as any random episode of any other Disney show. When we did our watch-through in our 20s, I spotted, I think, two episodes that were well-animated and quite clearly done by whoever it was that did the good shots in Return of Jafar. You see... I think you should try watching it again now. Yeah. If you tried to watch it again in your 20s, uh-huh. that's not the same thing, is it, as trying to watch it again now? You know, you're a bit more cynical in your 20s. I guess, but by the fact that I was watching an entire series of Disney's Aladdin, do you know what I mean? Maybe... Well, it's tough to imagine the cynical version of Dave Bulmer, it's true, but. <laughs> I think this is it. I think I'm it now. I think I wouldn't get far. But yes, I agree. It's Aladdin, a magic carpet. Princess Jasmine, they're friends with a genie. Iago's there, and he is always voiced by Gilbert Gottfried every episode. And he's their kind of dodgy mate. It's a great premise for a TV series, and I enjoyed it. And they had good baddies sometimes. There was um, there was the one voiced by that guy, fella. yeah, and then the uh, uh, mechanicles. Yes, he, he built uh, little mechanical like steampunky weapons yes. and vehicles and stuff. And did he then cross over and be in the Hercules cartoon? I feel like he did. No, there was a crossover with the Hercules ah. cartoon, uh, but I think that was an episode of Hercules because because Aladdin was over by then. Yes, long done. Yeah, that's the thing. Like this isn't new. Even now, no. the Aladdin show is a year or two old at this point. Mm. Whereas everything else that's here is pretty new for this year, or within the last year. Yeah, mm-hmm. it seems that. What have we got? So we've got, okay, get it out of the way, the sports one. Hang on, let's finish going on about the baddies from Aladdin, yeah? <laughs> go had, on then, you on you a, go. Uh, Mosinrath, didn't you? He was like the evil sorcerer, and he had like a flying eagle for a pet. <laughs> I don't and remember. The eel's name was Xerxes. I've, I, I must have watched these more recently than you, but I don't remember. Definitely you have, because... I haven't watched Aladdin since I was a kid. Yeah. I wonder, is it all on Disney Plus? Must be. I feel like it isn't, and that annoyed me. But I could be thinking of Buzz Lightyear of Star Command. Let's have a quick look now. No, it's not there. It's not on. What the f? Mate! Come on! Let's see if Hercules the series is. Nope. What's going on with all that? And that's famously actually good. What about Little Mermaid the series? Is that on there? Yes, three seasons of The Little Mermaid up there. I remember that show because that was a prequel to the films, The Little Mermaid show. And it had a baddie in it called The Black Manta. And I liked him because as I've established on this podcast, I liked the animals that film and television taught me were 
bastards. <laughs> like sharks and mantas and stuff like that. Two stone cold bangers in the Little Mermaid series in harmony. <laughs> You gotta be you. Alright, you got to be you. I got to be me. It's simple but true. What else could you do? Who else could you be? You got your own style. Now let it come true. And remember, no matter what, you got to be you. Get those up on YouTube. They're good. But yes, there was that crossover between Aladdin and the Hercules series, and if I remember right, it was just an episode of Hercules where, um, I guess Hades, like, plucks Jafar's soul out of the afterlife. <laughs> I think if I remember right, I think that's what it's about. Whoa, sweet. Yeah. Oh, so Jafar was in it? Yeah, yeah, that was the premise of it. Yeah, that was the crossover. Hell yes. Sorry, Aladdin, Hercules, and Buzz Lightyear of Star Command aren't on Disney+. Plus. What that's the weird. hell are you doing? I mean, it, it took until comparatively recently for them to even get Tailspin on there. Wait a minute, yeah, Tailspin's on there, the one I thought would be last. It's on there now, yeah, but it took a while. Yeah. What about Timon and Pumbaa? Is that on there? Because it's one of the other shows listed here. It is. And I know the other shows that are on here are, but I wouldn't have been 100% are sure they? about Timon and but They are. Are they really? Because this is a, a weird set of things to be on Disney+. Plus. just when what was new. Well, well. Aladdin isn't. Buzz Lightyear of Star Command isn't. Ducks. Let's get it out of the way. The sports. Go one. Ducks. Don't go. Care. Another. No, oh come on. No, you couldn't have not cared about this. This is Didn't just care. turtles. Sports. Nah, mate. Tim Curry. Tony J. No, doesn't bother Ian me. Zeering, no. Okay. Play, playing <laughs> sports. I wouldn't be. Consi- that bodies no, didn't play been... sports. That was their civilian job. They were hockey players. All right. Tony J. and Tim Curry played evil alien lizards. Yeah, but I've got. Nancy Brown was in it. But I've got them in other things that aren't about sports. No, I'm not watching it. I've seen. This few years after the hurricanes, you're not getting me to watch another sports cartoon. It's just not going to happen. All right, I'll give you that. I'll give you that, yeah. But I will say, I must have seen it. Because I remember being dramatically annoyed when I found out that the film wasn't even about ducks. Yes, I can imagine that. This was a great looking show. Now, talking about animation quality, this was some... This was a stellar-looking show. All right. You know, I haven't watched it all or anything, but certainly the bits of it that I've seen, you know. And you've got... It was Tim Curry, and he played the baddie, who was a big, like, dinosaur or something. I don't remember his name. And Tony Jay was, of course, his grand vizier type, his sorcerer, his magician. Sure. And Clancy Brown was his big Hulk henchman type guy. Yeah. You know, you can't beat that kind of lineup of talent. You can if you make him play sports. They didn't. Oh, well. Those guys didn't. Whatever. You know what I mean. The baddies were not interested in the hockey thing. We have that in common then. They were here to invade and conquer. They were evil alien dinosaur lizards. Yeah, and I'm sure they got defeated by having hockey done at them. No, I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah, they did. They They would hit a hockey puck and it would go on the button or whatever. (laughs) <laughs> Brad Garrett, I believe, played this character pictured here. I mean, it looks like he did. Yeah, <laughs> you can just look at a character and know he was voiced by Brad Garrett, right? 
<laughs> I think you should give Mighty Ducks a look off of Disney+. Plus. If nothing else, you'd be impressed by the animation. Okay, sure. Timon and Pumbaa, though. There you go. Yeah. There's a proper Disney Channel cartoon. That's what I'm wanting to watch a Disney Channel for. I watched plenty of it, but I have no memory of it. I had no great no, attachment same. to it. Yeah. Except that one time when they did Stand By Me. You've seen that bit. Mm. Oh, wait, yes. That suddenly did just flash into my head, yes. Well, uh, see, with a lot of these things, like the Little Mermaid series, um, Timon and Pumbaa, because there was a delay between them being on and then on Sky and then on TV, mm. a lot of the time... It's so true with Mighty Max as well. And where's Wally? I saw them first on video. Because they'd release a video. And you wouldn't necessarily be aware that there was going to be a TV series. You just, the video's out. Got to get the mm. video of my thing. Um, and we watched the Timon and Pumbaa video. And it was probably like two episodes of the series. And then this little bit that was probably the pitch pilot little thing that they did. And it was just Timon and Pumbaa singing the song Stand By Me. And instead of Darling, it was Pumbaa. So I suppose it was Timon singing "Stand by Me." Yes, and the I'm gag was it now, yes. the gag was that every time he said the phrase "Stand by Me," Pumba would stand by him, and an anvil would land on his head. Nope, I thought maybe he would fart. No, that's what you would think, and the joke would be that Timon would be like, "Oh, don't stand by me." No, it was that something would fall out of the sky and land next to Timon every time he said "Stand by me." <laughs> so it's a good little surreal gag, and it was good. He says. Perhaps if I look it up, it'll turn out it wasn't any of that. Well, you can't look it up because it's not on Disney+. Plus. No. Update. Here it is. And Stand By Me is on the end of episode 13. Brand spanking new Doug is, though. (laughs) Though they don't call it that anymore. What? It's just, just Disney's Doug. Doug now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is this is a weird wait, one. Wait, 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 wait. Was it? Are you saying that it was literally called Brand Spanking New Doug on the telly? Yes, that was the name of the show at the time. That was what they called really? it. Really? Because it was brand new. Because because <laughs> the idea of Doug was it was a Nickelodeon show for its first mm-hmm. three seasons. And oh. Then Disney acquired it. Oh. And it was Brand Spanking New Doug was how it was sold. But then no, it's just Doug. Oh, is that why they changed the great theme tune to a normal one? Uh, well, it's the same premise of a theme tune. It's still. That was it. that panting and honking that they used to do but it's just it's just a little different oh i just i thought the dog theme was so good it's such a simple little there's a guy who's just going do 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 it was lovely Doug, but I tell you the thing about the Disney Doug stuff, things are changing yeah. around Bluffington as Doug starts his new school. History doesn't seem to have looked favorably upon Disney's Doug. Yeah. But I remember as a kid seeing it and having my mind blown by the fact that you were allowed to do this in a cartoon. 
that you could what, advance that he's now. time in this way. Mm. Everybody's status quo changed, their appearances changed, their hairdos and outfits and everything all changed. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, we've totally flipped the whole thing on its end. When, when did a cartoon ever do that? Mm. In such a way that it wasn't about promoting the next year's new line yeah. of toy products. You know, yeah. I had a lot of affection for Disney's Doug because of that. But I haven't gone back to watch any of it, so... And finally, Meet the Quack Pack. No, fine, thanks. <laughs> it was sort of their attempt at, like, uh, DuckTales is getting a bit old now, let's do another one, as I recall. What there. if one of them wore a backwards baseball cap? <sighs> That's the trouble. It was trying oh, to be ever so 90s. Such dog sh- It's mm. dreadful stuff. What if mm. Donald Duck wore a Hawaiian shirt instead of the thing Donald Duck wears? Garbage. What if? I mean, and uh, I mean, I can't get down on it for making the triplets all talk normal because obviously that's where we live now, you know, in the world that they talk normally now, which is the right move to be fair. But they all talked like '90s slack and hip dudes. It was no. garbage. Yeah. Tune into the Disney Channel this half term for hundreds of adventures. I was sold by this. Look at this ad, like yeah. this is the Disney Channel. This is what yeah, we thought the Disney the Channel was. Yes, twenty four seven, twenty four seven, Aladdin and Timon and Pumba and some other stuff. That's what I want. Give me that. It's kind of what I want now. I mean, and these, uh, as I say, Mighty Ducks and Doug and Quack Pack and Timon and Pumba are all either new this year or last year. So these are all quite you know new things. Some of this stuff will have only just started. Yeah, I know this is a satellite channel, but it's crazy to me to even think that. A children's cartoon that started in September 1996 in America would be accessible on British television in October 1996 in the UK, even if it was just on a satellite channel. That's not how life worked. (laughs) Decap Attack. The Pumpkin Chaser, written by Nigel Kitching and Richard Rayner, art by Nigel Kitching, and letters by Ellie DeVille. Weird things always happen at Castle Frank and Stein on Halloween, and this year is no different, when the decappers have to call in Transylvanian Pest Control to help clear out an infestation of animate pumpkins. It's just jokes, Steve! I put this to you. (laughs) They should have released a whole Halloween special of Decap Attack. A standalone separate issue. Uh, yeah, a I special, mean, a Halloween special, like the Sonic Summer Special. This should have been a decap attack Halloween special. It should have been like this. It would have been glorious. I mean, there was no way they were ever going to do that nope. in 1996. No, no, not if no, not if you're basing it on the game. But if, yeah, well, that's the thing. You're not going to release the comic on its own, are you? <laughs> but wouldn't that have been great? Imagine it. This is fantastic. I love it. It's a Halloween. It's great. Perfect it's Halloween great. Comic. It's a great read. It's great fun, but it's so. F- weird in a way that decap attack hasn't it's the weirdest decap attack strip there's ever been strong statement the conceit is that the pumpkins are rats they're they're, they're pumpkins and they just behave like rats for some reason (laughs) yeah there's no logic to the story you know they just are and they just do ah good of you to come so quickly we are having an grossen problem with the pumpkins (laughs) Uh, you mean pumpkins yeah that's what i said the pumpkins and he finds (laughs) <laughs> he finds a, a cartoon mouse hole in the skirting board. The size of, the a, size pumpkin. of a pumpkin. <laughs> this is a chap named Kevin from Transylvania Pest Control. Of course he's named Kevin. Of course he's named Kevin. Look at him. He looks like a Kevin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I knew a Kevin and he does look like a Kevin. <laughs> he's got big... They're not glasses. 
the Ghostbuster goggles. Like this guy's a Ghostbuster. That's what he's done up like. He's yeah. wearing a you know an Exterminator's overalls, and he's got a kind of a proton pack Hoover thing going on, and yeah. he's wearing those goggles that Spangler would wear. Yeah. But they also look like a pair of big dorky glasses. So he just looks like a Kevin. Your pumpkins have revolted and burrowed their way into the nooks and crannies of the castle. Is that usual? Oh, it's very common, especially at this time of year. <laughs> <laughs> All kinds of weird stuff happens at Halloween. Oh, yeah. Last year, I saw a cow with two heads, eight legs, two bodies, and two tails. So, you saw two cows. That might be my favourite decap joke. So, so horrifying. With his hands making big raised, <laughs> wiggling his fingers, making big scary gestures. Two heads, eight legs, two bodies, and two tails. <laughs> then they just stop the strip for half a page to sing the TCP, uh, the TP, that's a different thing entirely, to sing the TPC anthem, or their advert jingle. On the subject of accidentally calling it TCP, mm. Nigel did it on page one. On his badge, it says TCP. <laughs> so it does, yeah. <laughs> Whoops. They're cunning vegetables, pumpkins. Not like your turnip. <laughs> then it turns out that ev- the- these pumpkins keep disappearing every Halloween for the last ten years, so the attic is absolutely full of them. They come spilling out. Ah, the pumpkins! Chuck starts chucking heads, smashing up pumpkins with them. And then yep. uh, Kevin catches them all in a big net. Oh, tis lucky you remembered your hand and patented pumpkin net in the back of your van. It's doing me jump. Look at Stein with a pumpkin lid on his head. Bottom right. <laughs> That's great, yeah. <laughs> then one of the pumpkins talks on the last page. Looks like it's the pie factory for us, lads. <laughs> yeah, they're just blokes. <laughs> so I don't like this one. <laughs> it's just blokes. <laughs> and then the joke that ends it with is, is uh, Igor says, if I ever see another pumpkin again, I'll yeah. scream. You can say that again. And everyone turns and sees that a pumpkin has taken Head's place on top of Chuck and they both scream. And then we see Head has accidentally been bundled into the pest control van with the other pumpkins. Will someone get me out of here? Bang on. That's a perfect Halloween comic as far as I'm concerned. Yep. I stand by my position that it is weirder and more nonsensical than any decap attack strip they've done before. That's why it's the perfect Halloween comic. <laughs> the, the the idea that the pumpkins are vermin yeah. that have infested the house. Brilliant. Love it. Next issue, more decap dilemmas. So we'll see what they serve up next mm. without the Halloween crutch to fall back on. <laughs> Q-Zone. Q-Zone. What is Sonic the Hedgehog 3 revisited and they're just going through the zones now at this point. I, yeah. I, I can't be bothered to get the old issues out to check, but this does feel like a reprint of the last time they just did a guide to Sonic 3. Might as well be, if it isn't. It, it was the first of the main, you know, Mega Drive series Sonic games that they actually did a full Q-Zone before already. Anyway, like they yeah. never actually did an actual step-by-step guide to Sonic 1 or Sonic 2 because yeah. they'd both come out before STC started. But they've done this already. And they're do I mean, it was two years ago. Yeah, okay, sure. But mm. even so. The only bit that stood out to me is uh, the very last bit in uh, Act 2 of Marble Garden, where it says, When the ground above you begins to fall away, there's a tricky left-to-right sequence you need to use in order to move Sonic to stop him being crushed or captured. But they don't tell you what it is. There just yeah, is they just one. They warn you to look out for it. They yeah. inform you that there's a tricky left-to-right manoeuvre without describing it. So you're none the wiser. What they're telling you to do here is look at the screen and see what you're supposed to do in Sonic 3 and do that. 
and then do it. Yeah, that's the help they're offering here. The one that jumped out at me was from Marble Garden Act 1. One of the nastiest obstacles is the rotating spiked ball on a chain. Capital R, capital S, capital B, capital C. (laughs) Rotating spiked ball on a chain. Like, that was on its business cards. Like, that was its (laughs) proper name. Sonic's World. A New Hope. Written by George Lucas. (laughs) Written by Lou Stringer. Art by Carl Flint. Colours by Andy Pritchett. Letters by Tom Frame. With Sonic stuck in the special zone, the Freedom Fighters are having a tough time battling badniks on their own. Things aren't looking good when one of the robots snatches Amy and flies off with her until Short Fuse the Cybernik shows up to save her from going splat. Short Fuse helps polish off the rest of the badniks and accepts the group's offer to join their ranks and lend a hand until Sonic returns. Now we're cooking. Yes! Suddenly the whole premise of Sonic's world makes sense again, doesn't it? Yes, oh, so much so, yeah. Yeah, like, so when it started, listeners, if you weren't there at the time, it started off as a fact file type info dump thing about series lore, and that made sense. Here's Sonic's world. But now Sonic's stuck somewhere other than the world he's from, so now we're looking into what's going on there. Sonic's world is now a freedom fighter strip. Perfect. I don't know how much they'll play with that premise. I mean, maybe they'll do stories about... Dr. Robotnik and Grimer in future issues, too, mm. sure, because, I mean, they don't have anything else going on right now, either. They're, they're <laughs> out of the picture while Sonic's strip is busy in the special zone. That's true. But, yeah, but now Sonic's world has a purpose again. Mm. It feels like it really energizes the whole back half of the comic, which has been a weird, aimless, floaty thing for a while yeah. now. I enjoyed the Future Shock story, but still. Yeah, and that's not an incidental, that's not, like, we've observed that that's what it is. That's the whole premise of this story. It touches on them feeling like they're not able to do this without Sonic, but staying determined. It's good stuff. And doing it in the same... And much as Future Shock, like the last Sonic's World story that's run for a while, felt like it ran at a bad time. Whenever it had been established, Sonic was in another dimension, and the, the, the story had even established him as being stuck in there as far back yeah. as two issues ago. This one does come in the same issue where Sonic makes contact with his buddies and tells them, I'm yeah. staying here. So there's an almost unprecedented (laughs) level of cross-strip continuity here. I mean, the only thing I can think of to compare it to is when Tails stopped to protect the Casino Night Zone while Brutus's revolution was going on in Sonic's world. And that was like actively an in-story reason for why he wasn't there, because he was there. Mm. But I can't think of the Sonic strip itself. I guess... There was some instance, wasn't there, where Carnival Night was happening at the same time as Badnik's Bridge. Remember Grimer got yes. on the phone with the Marxios to know that Knuckles was almost yeah. finished off? Oh, that was the biggest one. Yeah, yeah. That, that actually did cross through Across the stories. The yeah. Well, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. yeah, this is a great premise, you know. It's just right. And it's, and it's a great way of implementing Short Fuse on a wider scale as well. Of course, Short Fuse is going to come and help the heroes. You know, he's he is the premier yeah. hero guy now that Sonic's not here. It, it's a bold move by Lou to go yeah. like, yeah, my guy is now the power in the Freedom Team. But I trust him. He's going to do stuff with it and it's going to be fine. But it's ballsy, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. I mean, he's known he's known well enough in the past to have him be a loner off on his own so he can just tell stories about him whenever he wants to and not have to worry about the Sonic team and everything. But then Lou's had essentially custody of Amy and Tails for a while now. Yeah. So it's okay. I mean, and nobody cares about Johnny. So, <laughs> so, you know. Oh, Johnny in this one. Why not put Short Fuse, Amy and Tails at a strip together, you know? Johnny in this one. There's So there's a bit uh, early on, page two, where Amy 
complains about getting catcalled by Bad Nick. <laughs> she gets grabbed by one of those one of those ones that you do the infinite lives uh, cheat. Valkyrie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She gets carried away by that and goes, typical, some creep thinks he can sweep me off my feet. So Johnny comes sprinting along downstairs. He goes, I'll save you, Amy. And he just lobs his stick into the distance. <laughs> he just, well, he throws he, it at it, you know. I'm sure he's thrown yeah, he his tries. stick before. But he misses. And Amy just yells back from in the bad Nick's clutches as the thing sails past underneath her. Do you ever think about javelin throwing for your planet, Johnny? <laughs> Thanks, dickhead, <laughs> is essentially what she's saying. There. Yeah. And then Tails... Tails has been dunked on the head. He's fallen. So, oh, he, look at that panel of I Tails know. at the top of the page where he's sitting lying with a few leaves on his head and his big feet sticking out in front of him. That's adorable. I love that. Are you all right? Well, I've felt better. And then he stands up with his head spinning. Imagine how funny it would be if this is what happened in real life. Anytime someone gets clonked on the head, their eyes spin round in opposite directions. Just rotate. <laughs> Imagine how funny that would be. I like that uh, Flint uh, is drawing real badniks. Because normally yeah. he just draws whatever. Oh, yeah. But he's drawn all real classic badniks here. We've got a Valkyrie, a Batbrian, a Motobug, a Burrowbot, a Caterkiller. Uh, a slightly off model. I think that's a Neutron. And then I think Andy Pritchett, who's doing the colouring this time. Mm. Just accepted that he wasn't going to be able to properly figure out what Carl was going for with the textures on the sky shots after that. No, like, he's done a great job of colouring. Like, I love yeah. the vibrancy of his colours. And Carl has done his usual thing of, like, photo montage of stuff. So there's a yes. lot of bushes and there's a lot of craggy desert rocks. And those are all photos that are photocopied. In the sky, there's all these sort of grainy patches of what is presumably photos of clouds. But it's very unclear how they're supposed to be coloured. So Yes, I can't... It's a little clearer in the middle panel on page three there, mm. where the dark patches do appear to be the shadows on the underside of clouds. You can sort of get the handle on the three dimensions of what's going on, but Pritchett has just coloured it all blue, and then it's just basically it's an all blue sky with these black patches. He's in done it. a sort of a, a gradient from blue at the bottom to white at the top, just sort of yeah. like hope that covers it. Hope that's all right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I get it. Like I know why he did that. It, what what is he supposed to do? That's you'd have to. I don't. I I wouldn't know how to color that. Honestly, yeah. He you'd have to look at the photo. I think you'd have to get Carl to send yeah. you the actual picture itself. Um, so that didn't work as well. But apart from that, the rest of the comic, the photo montage thing works. This photo reference thing is something that's really only crept into the strips to this extent quite recently. Yeah. I love the honesty of the caption on page four. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit good, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so so uh, a laser shot comes out of nowhere and zaps this badnik that's carrying Amy and she's sent tumbling and it's like, oh, perhaps hanging around was preferable to getting splattered on the ground. Who could have zapped that badnik? Then we see Short Proof comes, zooms in, need a lift, and Amy, upside down and plummeting to her doom, folds her arms and cocks <laughs> her head. He goes, thanks for digging out that badnik. You know how I feel about badniks. Robotnik turned me into one, but I resisted his brainwashing and have dedicated myself to destroying other badniks. Asterisk, and then in the caption it says A quick summary of Short Fuse's origin for new boomers, your caring sharing Megadroid. <laughs> I love that caring sharing bit. <laughs> Lovely. It makes me wonder now that Short is going to be presumably a bit more of a regular character depending on what direction the stories take. Is he going to do this every issue? <laughs> or what, you know? <laughs> yeah, Johnny worries that uh, old Egg Dome will take advantage of Sonic's absence and really come down on the Freedom Fighters and short that's what Short Fuse is convinced. Yeah, maybe I should we should stick together. Okay. And then Tails is like, yeah! 
just does this big whirling cartwheel in the sky behind him. Then everybody strikes a big hero pose where Amy throws up the devil horns (laughs) for some reason. Next issue, Robotnik's Secret Weapon. Could be anything, couldn't it? It could be, but it's probably going to be about this new status quo of Sonic's world. Mm. Like, I'm excited about this. I'm excited about the shape the comic has taken now. Yeah? Yes, because as you just pointed out, we don't know what Robotnik's doing right now. Yeah, because we know he knows Sonic is stuck in the special zone. Oh, yeah! The uh, secret agent, the spy sent in there in the Mr. Shifter story, she's reported back. So Robotnik's got something brewing, presumably. And then, I don't know, and then, you know, who knows if Kitching's going to build... I mean, before that, the last thing we saw Robotnik doing was doing the Wicker Man. Mm. Is that going to pay off in any way, that hypnotism plan or not at all? Like, it feels like Kitching had something going on there where he under They've emphasized recently this idea that Robotnik's in charge and there's nothing that can be done about that. You know, yeah. the people need to rise up. And, um, well, it's all building towards issue 100, as we know, but we have a little ways to go before we get there. There's another six months before we get there yet. Sir, in brackets, prize with a Z. It's a pun. Do you get it? (laughs) This letter comes in from Eleanor Finch in Ripley. I'm losing the will. I know. The speed lines will do that to you. (laughs) Yo, STC. Eleanor has addressed this. She's a cool dudette. Hell yeah. I would like to know why it's so hard to get letters printed in your comic. As this is the case, is it possible to buy any of the prizes that are given away in speed lines? And then Megadroid snarkily replies, Oh, so it was hard getting your letter printed, was it? <laughs> the Speedlines prizes are not available in the shops, so it's just as well you've won one. And what she's talking about there is the hog tax. Presumably, but I mean, who knows when the letter came from? Well, because the other prizes were available in the shops and were fairly generic. Oh yeah, good point. Do you know what I mean? They were... You can buy mini stampers in the shops as well. Yeah. Mini stampers, Sonic stationery, although that may have been leftover stock. I don't know if you could still get that by then. Presumably the cameras were a thing you could buy in the shop too. Must have been. So were the hog tags just genuinely bespoke or were they like Sega swag? If it was an STC printed thing, then instead of saying Sega on the back, it would say, here's a pair of hog tags for your neck, boomers. (laughs) (laughs) I would have thought it would have the STC logo on it, but That would be there too, yeah. I've always assumed it was like, you know, Sega merchandise, swag, that it it wasn't sold in shops, but it was stuff that they give out to licensees to give away to do exactly this one. Or prizes at events. Maybe you got them on the Sega bus, if you won. Yeah, yeah, something like that, yeah. Uh, Another letter here from Anthony Northman from Leon C. in Essex. Dear Megadroid, could you arrange for Decap Attack's Chuck D. Head to come round my house? (laughs) I've decided it's the only way to teach my brother to stop making fun of Sonic. (laughs) Come and have Chuck beat the life out of my brother. Resorting to violence. Putting a hit on your own brother. And uh, I did laugh at Megatron's reply. Yes, but I couldn't guarantee you'd have a house left afterwards. <laughs> Read the last one, Nerdy. Well, I'll try. Uh, so the last one is captioned. <laughs> um, Taz speak, innit? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Megadroid, am I the only boomer to have recognised that your comic is the most respectable comic around? Err. No, you're not. I'm sure that part of the reason is because you don't allow things like or censored or to be printed, says Gavin Jackson, Washington Tyne and Weir, Mega Drive owner. And, and to, just, to just pass that for you, listeners, I think what he's saying here is that most comics at the time would have 
strings of asterisks and at signs and exclamation marks to represent swearing or a thing over swearing saying censored and he's saying it's good that they don't do that because the people in in stc aren't swearing in the first place is that right do you think that's what it is i can't tell i I guess because he says respectable right so he must mean that they don't even allow fake swearing fake swearing or is he being funny and he's censoring himself and he's what he's yeah, or, what he's or actually that, doing yeah. is saying like you don't allow fucking shit. Yeah, yeah. But he's censoring it. Or did he write fucking and S T C? And they censored it. Censored I it. don't know, Dave. I can't figure it out. No. Megadroid replies, Gavin. If only I could assure you that the humes around here kept to the same refined vocabulary <laughs> as myself. Love that. They're turning the That's sky good, yeah. blue. They're turning the sky hedgehog blue in the office at STC. Day in and day out. And Sonic the fucking comic. To be fair, they probably are by this point. <laughs> A couple more Halloween-y pictures to go around here as well. Yeah. We've got one from James Robson from Long Hanborough in Oxfordshire. And it's oddly captioned. It's captioned fast food because it's Sonic um, as a witch. He's got a witch's hat on. He's holding a magic okay. wand and he's got a little cloak on. And he's in front of a, well, I, I guess it's meant to be a cauldron, but it does look like a levitating soup bowl. Yes. What's going on here? So that that's going on. He's got a witch's cape on, but one side of it, there seems to be speed lines like he's doing a punch with his fist, which is bleeding. I think that's supposed to be a broom. Oh, is it? Well, yeah, it's got a, it's got a long handle and it's got a broomy head on it. Oh, the the red line is the handle of the broom. Now I see it. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that, that does actually settle everything. I'm, I'm happy now. Okay. Yeah. All right. Done. Uh, ding dong! Ding dong! This is a Robotnik Halloween picture. It's Robotnik as a bat, a vampire bat. It's Robotnik and he's got fangs. Yeah. And instead of arms, he's got wings. And he's got a big head. He's the proportions of a bat. So he's got a big, big head. Or larger, bigger even than a bat's head, if you will. Yeah. And he's a bat. And they've captioned it, Robotnik. Yeah, yeah bat. Uh, this is from Michael Plimley of South Sea Wales. And Robotnik is flapping around in front of a, a grandfather's clock. It's very heavily cropped, but hence the ding-dong, which, which yes. Michael has written himself. And then something interesting going on at the bottom. I want to say that might be Metamorphia or something. We've got the top of someone's head. I was thinking Oh, yes, it could be tails. It's just a little bit pointy and spiky for tails, but it could be. But where it overlaps the grandfather's clock, which is just the corner of one ear, it's coloured in, perfectly aligned to the overlap. The rest, it's a ghost. Yeah. Oh! Don't know what's going on there. It couldn't be filch, could it? And the the coloured in is because that's like a lighter shade of brown because you're seeing it through ghost. Oh, yeah, you know, it might not be Filch. I'm still sticking with the being Tails. But a ghost. But a ghost Tails, maybe. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Ah, well, that's really cool, and they should have printed it. That's quite clever, actually. Yeah, it is. They should have put the whole picture in, stupid shit. Flipping Oops, stupid shit. That, that was a bit of violence. <laughs> <laughs> Anything in our mailbag? Yes. You crunching a polo? Uh, no, another Pez. Pez. It's your letters. It's your letters. It's your letters. It's your letters. Pez. We have our own mailbag. You can write to it. stctpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, so this time, we've got a letter from somebody called Patrick Boyle. And this is in response to something that's been going on in the periphery. Something incredible. (laughs) 
that's been going on in the periphery of our Twitter. Yes, uh, back in December 2020, a tweeterer named Virtual Ollie sent us some screen caps from an episode of EastEnders. EastEnders is a long-running grittiness-adjacent soap opera. Uh, they were watching... Well, I'll read their tweet out right here. You guys might get a kick out of this. While watching classic EastEnders on the Drama Channel as you do, mm -hmm. I spotted evidence to suggest Martin Fowler was an STC fan. Uh, and it is a screen cap of EastEnders, and in the background there's a there's a drawing of Sonic and Knuckles. Mm. Yeah. And it's a, it's, a, it's a Knuckles that is identifiably copied from the Power of the Chaos Emerald story out of STC itself with the shot of when he's smashing his way out of the crashed uh, Robotnik yeah. escape vehicle. And it, it just clearly is. It's not a blurry shape. It is a blurry shape, but we can very clearly see exactly which knuckles it is. It is exactly that, yeah. And then the saga continued earlier this month, where again, Ollie sent us another one, spotted an impromptu SDC graphic zone on another episode of Classic EastEnders the other day. Originally, this is an episode aired in 2001, and it's a drawing of short fuse <laughs> pinned yeah. up on someone's fridge. Yeah. Not even a, you know, a Sega character. No, it's short for you. And not even a small drawing, like a full A4 yeah. page. Yep. Slam, bang, ticking up a fair size percentage of the screen. With what I believe is a slightly muddy Sonic the Comic logo at the top. I think so. Something to that tune, yeah. Mm, yeah. And uh, the question was, who done this? Yeah, worth mentioning that Lou Stringer, uh, the creator of Short Fuse, saw this, commented on it. He says, yeah, sure is. That That's... That is short fuse, brilliant. Uh, he says he'd given up on EastEnders by then, so he'd never seen this. <laughs> yeah. Can only imagine if he'd been sat there watching EastEnders in the nineties and gone like, "What? <laughs> That's..." <laughs> <laughs> so with the discovery of the short fuse one, we retweeted to the official Sonic podcast account the original Knuckles one from two years ago, and then in reply to that, a gentleman named Tom Mathias says. My mate Patrick drew those. <laughs> I was very jealous they got on tally. And relayed from Patrick, if the Sonic podcast wants the lowdown, it's a very boring story. And <laughs> of course we want yes, the lowdown. Yes, we do. We don't care. It's not a boring story. So take it away, Patrick. Yeah. Okay. Patrick says, hello, my friend Tom alerted me. He might not have said it like that. He might have said, hello. Hello. My friend Tom alerted me to the posts on Twitter about Martin Fowler being a fan of Sonic the Comic based on the drawings on his walls. I can confirm the person who drew the pictures was indeed an STC fan, as that person was me. The explanation is relatively straightforward. My dad was a production designer on EastEnders at the time. That's sort of what we guessed, isn't it? Something along those lines. Yeah. Which means he was responsible for set design. It was relatively common for him to borrow things from home to be used at work. One time when he was working on Doctors, he used my photo to represent a child who had died and who was later revealed to be the product of incest. Thanks, Dad. Good old. <laughs> That's what you want. <laughs> in this case... That's how you want to go down in TV history. <laughs> that's And that's your one shot. You can't use that child again now. Nope. <laughs> in this case, he explicitly asked me to do some drawings for Martin, as I was around oh. the same age and into art. The only picture I remember doing for the brief was one of an old bald man, which you can see in the background of some of the shots, who everyone assumed was supposed to be Arthur Fowler. Is that Martin's dad? He, he said that. Oh. I also don't know, but he said that. But was just a generic old man that I drew for some reason. Not sure if this was before or after Arthur had died. <laughs> 
Anyway, the Sonic drawings weren't specifically drawn for EastEnders, but were on my own bedroom wall. I, lots of respect for a kid who draws his own posters to go on his own yeah. bedroom wall. I did a bit of that. Yeah, I did a bit of that. Yeah, drawings stuck up on our walls. I did a lot of Bucky O'Hare drawings to put them on my wall. I memorably did a Bertha drawing that stayed on my wall for like Lovely a Bertha. lot of years. Yeah, And the reason I drew it was because I first drew it on an easel with chalk, and I was so impressed with myself that I had to make a record of it, so I drew it on paper. That went up on the wall. I don't think I realised they'd been used till someone at school asked if they were mine. I never got them back. Not surprised about that. No, but it's a shame, isn't it? Your parents steal one of the drawings that you've done and put up on your wall and never give them back! I've been using this as an anecdote for years without having any photographic proof, so very pleased to see people spot them and commenting on them 25 years later. Yes! (laughs) Across time, this podcast. This podcast is doing good things for Sonic the Comic. We didn't have this information before. Nobody knew this. Nobody knew. Nobody'd heard from Leo Suarez's mum. <laughs> <laughs> My friend also mentioned a signing that I attended where a Richard Elson story was defaced by the cover artist. I'm not sure when this was, but it was around the time issue 61 was released as I was a child and didn't realise I had to bring something to be signed and the publisher gave me a copy of the latest issue, which was number 61. Mm-hmm. So I got my issue signed by most of the staff and some sketches too, but I didn't get Richard to sign it as his queue was too big. You would expect. However, Carl Flint, the cover artist, did write on the first page of Richard's story that issue. And what he wrote was, she Exclamation mark. <laughs> um, that's a bit weird. I mean, that's a bit weird. That's that STC Brit comedy at work, isn't it? You know, he's just she- having a go at Richard's art. Yeah, he's but, just having but, a comedy go. Yeah, but Richard's not going to see it. <laughs> and he said, not sure whether there was some beef or jealousy that he had a much bigger cue, but in retrospect, it was quite a weird thing to do to a nine-year-old's comic. Yeah, correct. Just writing, yes, that's writing mm. the word shite in a nine-year-old's thing yep. on a on a comic you didn't work on like you know the strip that's weird that's weird behavior that's weird behavior carl carl, <laughs> carl flint is that my man i don't know <laughs> unfortunately i don't think i have the issue anymore it may be somewhere in my parents Shit. loft but but they've moved house and i don't know if it made it so it's in someone's loft <laughs> anyway i hope this is of interest I haven't listened to the podcast, but let me know if you use this, and I will listen in. That is one of the best things that's ever happened. Yeah, and and Patrick, if you want to know what episode to listen to, uh, we have covered this letter in episode one, episode two, episode three. (laughs) I believe it came up again in episode four, episode five. (laughs) Yeah, Patrick, fantastic. That is exactly the stuff we want. That's amazing. Boomers. See what happens. Get the word out. Contact your entire extended network. If you've ever known anyone who read this comic, get them in touch or tell them to listen because they might have an anecdote like this. I was just thinking the other day again how great and how weird it is sometimes that we turn out to just randomly know people who are in this that's happened to me at least twice that I can think of where we'd be reading the speed lines and and that comes in from... 
oh, oh, and it, it would turn out to be the name of somebody I've known for 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> you never mentioned this. And then we get them in and they, they do a readout of their... How many times have we been able to have somebody read out the letter that they wrote? It, I mean, it's amazing. I it's, love that. It's amazing. It, the warmth yeah. that it fills my heart with yeah. when we're able to reconnect in this way yes with this this shared experience that's and this 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 guy drew pictures that he loved of the comic and it was they were on eastenders and we only found out about it because somebody posted them on twitter yeah what even is that <laughs> yeah we didn't know about this we didn't know about sonic the comic in eastenders i wasn't watching watch eastenders. eastenders we were cool kids yeah. <laughs> nb we were not cool kids <laughs> now listen if you are, if I know what a podcast is, and I know how podcasts work, so if this is the future, I if should this hope in, so at this point, ninety episodes <laughs> in. If this entire series has finished, right, and you're listening to this in the future, but you are this sort of person and you had some sort of connection, still get in touch. We're probably, hopefully, still alive. Find us online. Get in touch. If it, we might, you know, we're not be, we're not above doing a little anniversary podcast where we tell stories we've heard about since. Oh yeah, do you know what I mean? There might be a future episode of this that you can be in down the line somewhere. Yeah. Who knows? it's going to obviously. Well, you're planning ahead quite far there, David. It's going to be years before we're done with this yet. But still, you never know when someone who we want to hear from. And eventually, what you've just said will be not true anymore, and it will create a massive pang of uh, of misery uh. and ennui. For the when someone listens to this when we're dead, yeah, yeah, someone unearths it from the rubble. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. They uncover a podcast. <laughs> what, yeah, yeah, you know, part, podcast archaeology. Yeah, <laughs> and they put it in a special machine. So that uh, pertains to things that have happened fairly recently. Um, we're a little bit behind on our queue, so if you've written in and haven't heard your letter read out, either we're just not going to. <laughs> it happens. And that's your fault, and you should feel bad about writing such a bad letter. Yeah, yeah. Or... <laughs> Write <laughs> no, better letters, stupid. Sometimes they're just too long, and we're like, oh, we'll save that for when we've got more time, and then it never happens. But generally speaking, hang on there, because we're going back over a bit of a backlog, is what I'm saying. We've got another letter here from Kathy Murdoch Capellosaur, who says... Dear Humes who think they're in charge, I'm writing this shortly after finally reading issue 184, the last non-reprint issue of Sonic the Comic. Wow, there's a lot of good stuff ahead for the podcast, and I'm really looking forward to hearing your takes and rereading them along with you as you get to them. And uh, thank you for not mentioning 26-year-old spoilers for anything ahead of time. <laughs> I do, well, We tried. Yeah, we, we, we actually mentioned them quite a lot, but then we cut them out. <laughs> I didn't read STC when it was new. Mm-hmm. No, despite being the right age for it. I would have been eight when it began. That comes as a surprise. Uh, though I do remember my oh, my younger brother had a few copies and I definitely read over his shoulder during the Sonic 3 and Knuckles adaptation hey. with the cover of number 37 in particular looking familiar to me. I've checked if he still has them, but he gave them to a friend at some point, unfortunately. Well, fortunate for the friend, anyway. Yeah, I was going to say, they went to a good home, at least. I discovered STCTP around episode 50, and after realising there were scans available online, went back to the start of the podcast and comic, and now I am fully caught up on both counts. Despite not having been into the comic during my childhood, I was very much into the Mega Drive games and have continued to be so into my adult life. I play through them multiple times in an average year. Oh, I I don't do that. I I would say I do, yeah. (laughs) At least once, maybe, yeah. Hmm. It's previously been something I've been a bit embarrassed to mention to people, as growing up I often felt I was being discouraged from being into this sort of thing. Really? Oh, 
What? Shame. So it's been transformative to me to have found this podcast where you unashamedly and joyously discuss your love of the comic and games. SDCTP has been pivotal in helping me come out of my shell and embrace the fandom and community, giving me an outlet to scratch my drawing and writing itches. Yes, we've seen some of Kathy's drawings. And even helping me to meet new friends, which is just incredible. I can't thank you enough for that. Hope you enjoy this drawing I made to mark the occasion. Here is a quite elaborate drawing <laughs> that Kathy's done. <laughs> Describe that for us, Chris. Hey, look at that! <laughs> <laughs> Pure reaction there. <laughs> All right, so... Um, <laughs> It's uh, it's the Emerald Altar. Yeah. And floating in the Emerald Altar are not six Chaos <laughs> Emeralds, but six delicious fruit pastels. Yum, yum, yum. Including one blue one. I would like to have a blue pastel, please. It'd just be blue raspberry flavoured. Whatever, I want to eat it. It's a nice flavour. And floating on either side of it are Kinterbor computer-like holographic projections of Dave and my heads <laughs> singing, We've got your pastels. Here they are right now. We've got my pastels. Here they are right now. We've got my pastels. Here they are right now. <laughs> And Knuckles is at the bottom of the console, looking up in distress, going, No! You're going to get sugar dust all over the place! I just I cleaned just, up! He was always cleaning up, wasn't he? He's always cleaning up! Because people kept coming along and ruining the it. control room. That's amazing! That's fantastic. I'm putting that on a Twitter! <laughs> I love it! That was from Kathy Murdoch at Capellosaur. Mega Drive and Mega CD owner. Oh, la dee da. Mm. Oh, thank you so much for that letter, Kathy. Yeah. That, you know, I've experienced something similar, you know, in my life when it comes to like making friends through a community. And I know, I know that I today am a very, very different person than I was, I don't know, let's say 15 years ago. And you would hope to be a different person 15 years on as a result of, you know, my experiences and the friends I've made through the Transformers fandom and the conventions that I've gone to. And I don't even, I don't like to think about where I might be today if it hadn't been for that sometimes. Mm. And to know that something as inconsequential as uh, feeling as this silly little podcast yeah. about an old comic yeah. can in some way be a catalyst for that for someone else. That is the greatest honour as far as I'm concerned yeah. that anyone can give this show. We just thought it might be a laugh. Yeah. <laughs> we thought we'd maybe do five. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we did 10 before we even brought it yeah, out, yeah, yeah. so we always knew we were going to do at least that many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I, I'm serious when I say that, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, that's the greatest compliment that, that, that anything like this can be given. And, you know, we, we were just talking about it just a minute ago off the last letter, this, this strain, to know that it's not just about connecting things in the past, pulling people from all these different places in the past together as well, to know that it's still doing it and creating it yeah. for new people who've never even had any connection to the comic in the <laughs> past. That it can, that we can do that. Yeah. That this comic can do that even now in 2022. That makes it all, it's it's a cliche phrase, that that, that makes it worth doing. Yeah. Like that's, that's what it's about. Like I keep meeting people who have never been interested in Sonic at all or Sonic the comic who are like, well, all right, I'll give you a podcast to listen. And now they've read the whole comic, you know? Yes! <laughs> well, I hope you'll continue listening as we continue doing it. Yeah, such as next issue. Yes, next issue. Lighten up with Decap. Decap gets the center spotlight again in a new story called Boris and the Book. And the art is just a picture of Chuck turning on a bedside light. Okay. I wonder what's going on there. Mm. You couldn't ever predict what was going to happen in a decap no, attack strip, could you? No, no point guessing. I Part of me is guessing because we've already had a thing about bedtime stories in books and here's 
Turning on a light. Oh, Mr. Cuddle Bunny. Mm, yeah, might, you never might know. Might be something to do with that. Could be something to do with that. I don't know who Boris is. It'll be a Boris nope. Karloff riff, I imagine. Maybe, yeah. We'll mm. see. New story, Sonic's World. Short Fuse Shake-Up. Sounds like it could have referred to this issue, but he's still going to be around next issue, presumably, so it's probably all yep. right. Of course, they did cock up the Sonic's World tag last issue, yes, didn't they? they? didn't they? Uh, they put it in his future shot. Are they so all, always just one the, ahead? Who knows? Maybe the Sonic's World tags are, mm. are one-off now, yeah. <laughs> In the spot where it would normally say new story or something like that, it says Sega's Saturn release. <laughs> There's a Knight's pinup. There's another Knight's uh, pinup next issue of Clarice. Yeah. Clarice? Clarice? Don't, don't know. Don't know. Don't care. Neither and both because it's Japanese people saying non-Japanese names. So. Kurarisu. Plus, Sonic gets the knack. No, mm. like a knack's weasel. Mm. Plus, Knuckles, adios amigos. Presumably that means it's the last part of his western adventure. Road Rash review? What Road Rash? Road Rash coming out on the Saturday? Uh, must be. We'll, we'll, be. we'll find yeah. out. We'll find Have out. Stay tuned, won't we? Uh, and more Sonic 3Q Zone. It's Sonic the Comic Issue number 90 on sale Wednesday, the 30th of October, 1996, at £1.20 of the King's Pennies. When you're looking for that, you can find that episode. Most places good podcasts are available, but you can also download it directly from our website at stctp.zone. Brilliant website. Mm-hmm. Brilliant time. Brilliant podcast. Oh, yes. But wherever you do listen to it, please do leave us a review. Yes, please. You can follow the podcast on Twitter. It is at Sonic Podcast. And that's where you'll see things like the picture we just got sent. You'll find that there, the, oh. the EastEnders pictures. That's all I want to put that up. No, but it's I know. Soon. And we and actually just go to at Sonic Podcast because we like retweet anything that's... Peri- we, don't, we don't just go, we've got an episode out. Here it is. Anything we can find about STC or anything you'd be interested in to do with this and the community surrounding it. It's all there. That's where everybody is. That's where all these people are that we're talking about. At Sonic Podcast. We are also separately on Twitter. I am at Demon Tomato Dave. And I am at Chris McFeely. But obviously this episode we need to do a third team member shout out thank you very much to sam hi i'm sam gabriel and i'm using she her pronouns now and if you'd like to hear more of my voice you can check out my stuff at samgabrielvo.com i have hours and hours and hours of free audiobooks also i am involved with a professional quality fan dub of the avatar the last airbender comics the avatar book four restoration project it's called You can find our first episode on our YouTube channel of the same name and follow us on Twitter at at Book4Air. That's at Book number four, Air. Thank you, Sam. I suspect I don't need to tell you listeners uh, how enthusiastic Sam was about helping us out with the ridiculous idea. You can support the podcast, and we do kind of need you to. Like, it's actually quite important. We, we you, you know what I mean. It, otherwise, we'll be destitute. So that is Patreon. Well, he will. Yeah, well, yeah. That, <laughs> yeah, that's patreon.com forward slash. He does all the work around. Yeah, patreon.com forward slash HTTP, and there you will find loads of goodies to make it worth your while. We've got videos and videos and videos and videos and videos, and also audio versions if you just want to listen to us of us. Talking about the Martin Adams novels, the Sonic novels, the, probably the first Sonic stories published. They came out around the same time as the uh, uh, the first year of 
STC did. And we're nearing the end of Silicon Warriors at the moment. We're either one chapter off or we've finished it. So yeah, so we'll be moving on to Castle Robotnik. Chris, you're going to have to hit eBay. It's getting harder and harder to find an affordable copy of that. Jeez, yeah. yeah. Somebody wants to send that to me for Christmas, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll just, you'll just have to wait until someone buys Chris a copy of this book because he can't be asked. <laughs> it's expensive! 15 quid. It was 15 quid. It, they, hang on, I, hold on. I right. am just now editing an episode in which I say, buy yeah, it yeah, now, yeah, and you yeah, say, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's no, no, 15 no, no, no. quid. Yes. And I say, buy it, it before it's more expensive than 15 quid. Yes, and you go, okay, but it's and already I'm not expensive. saying you were wrong. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Mum, <laughs> Jesus, David Boomer. Yeah, all right. You were right. I was wrong. All right. Is that what you want to hear? Is that what you want to hear? I'm not spending sixty-four pounds ninety-eight, which is currently the lowest-priced copy on Amazon. Christ alive! Thank you. Okay, I can see your point. Actually, do you know what? Hands up. I may not have said buy it before it's more expensive. Now I'm thinking about it. I think that's not true. That does sound like a perfectly normal thing to say, though. But I so did I... say get on with it. <laughs> £54.30 uh, from Australia on eBay is the only list. Plus £17.10 postage. So... You've f***ed that, Chris. Could be a challenge there to completing the... Uh, the yeah. yeah. We'll see how that goes. I'm sure there must be an EPUB version of it somewhere. That's not coming out of my cut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Anyway, so that may happen and it may not. But whatever, there's still loads of other stuff for you to listen to on there as well. Something else you've listened to in the course of this show is our theme song. <laughs> it is called Synchronize and it's by a band called Sonic the Comic, whose work you can find on sonicthecomic.bandcamp.com. Mm -hmm. But we have been a podcast called Sonic the Comic, the podcast... And we will see you next time.